Hello and welcome to episode 36 of We Have Such Films to Show You. Uh, this is the episode where we're talking about Silent Hill, the uh, 2006 film with Sean Bean who doesn't die. Uh, so you know it's something unusual. Maybe he dies on the inside. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. Well, and, and there's there's a sequel too, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit just because I watched it. But uh, anyway, I'm 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 Josh Millard, uh, your host who starts talking at the beginning of the podcast, and I'm Yakov, the host who talks at the end of the pod. I, I yeah, I, I wasn't really going for a bookend thing there. I appreciate that you, that you the host who for doesn't that. talk past the end of the podcast. Yes. Ah, there you go. Maybe we can have uh, you know 15 minutes of typing at the end of the podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Silent Hill. This is a. Uh, uh, this was kind of an impulse pick, I think. Uh, oh, actually, you know, this is this is even an impulse pick with a misunderstanding. Because, I, I, did you actually watch the other one before we figured out that we were talking about this one, or did you? No, just no, I did to? not. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I was intending to then, because yeah, because what happened was that I saw that um, Silent Hill Revelation was on. Um, was on Netflix, and I was just like, oh, let's do Silent Hill, because I thought it was the first one for some reason, but then it turned out not to be, and then I had realized that, I'm like, oh, crap, now I have to go find a copy of Silent <laughs> Hill, which I couldn't find in time for the previous podcast. Yes, which then um, we had to we had to kibosh anyway, because of random real-life stuff, and, and so here oh, we are a month later, so, uh, but here we are, is the yep. important thing. Uh, and yeah, and so we watched Silent Hill, and I've never played the game. Uh, yeah, you, you came to this with basically zero cultural expectations. Like, had you seen a trailer for this film? Eight I have not years seen ago? a trailer. I've I've listened to like discussions of this video game on podcasts, and like people have brought it up occasionally. But like, I've never played it. And like, past you know the existence of uh, Pyramid Head, I don't really know much about it. <laughs> oh, Pyramid Head. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because it's it's one of those game franchises that. Uh, it, 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 you can't really just refer to Silent Hill as a fungible entity in the games because uh, it started as a PlayStation game. I think we may have talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast, maybe during Jacob's Ladder, uh, where I think I referenced the Silent Hill series thing? a bunch. Yeah, the Kindergarten Cop thing. Silent Hill is set at the school in Kindergarten Cop uh, <laughs> because that's where they got the location scouting inspiration from for the video game. The original PlayStation release was, uh, you know, looked like an original PlayStation game. You know, it was, it was 3D polygons, but uh, pretty low res. And I know about, like, the fog thing where, you know, like, the limitations of the PlayStation to render distances meant that they had to, you know, do something to cr- prevent it from having just constant pop-ups, so they that's why they rendered the fog in, and then the fog became, like, a big trademark of the series. Yeah, yeah. So they used the fog to get around the, the graphical limitations at the time and uh the whole game is set in sort of like a dark moody thing with all this fog and whatnot so you have basically two modes either it's sort of vaguely light out and foggy or it's dark and hellish you know which is convenient it keeps the amount of rendering you have to do down but you know it it really it doesn't look very good going back to it it, it's it's definitely on the far side of the oh wait this used to be an impressive looking (laughs) thing you know, I would say more so than even like the original Resident Evil looks terrible, you know, too. But I, I, I feel like uh, Resident Evil has aged slightly better in sort of being what it was trying to do at the time. Whereas Silent Hill, you go back to and there's a moody game there and, you know, it's still sort of creepy, but it really it doesn't stand up. But then the PlayStation 2 came along and they put out Silent Hill 2. Uh, and that is kind of like that is the game. 
in my opinion, in uh, I, I guess in a lot of people's opinion, that was sort of like where the series really did what it did and started being something that was more clearly really uh, sort of a unique thing that wasn't just a Resident Evil clone. Because uh, they, they were able to do a lot more graphically, obviously, with the, the right. better machine. Um, and they just sort of did everything better. And they made the, the second game just sort of uh, amusing on the same aesthetic as the first game, but didn't try and run with it. Um, and it's, it's this really nice ghostly story of this guy sort of looking for his wife. And it's not totally clear what the status of things is. Clearly, he has lost her in some sense, but it's not totally clear uh, for much of the game if he lost her as in she went to Silent Hill and he's trying to catch up with her or she went to Silent Hill in some metaphorical sense uh, or she's dead or maybe he's dead too. Um, and this is this is a sort of recurring theme in all the games. You know, there tends to be sort of a transition point very early in the game where usually there's some sort of abrupt occurrence and then someone finds their way around Silent Hill and terrible things happen and maybe they're just dead the whole time because of the thing that happened at the beginning of the game. Um which again, you know, the the whole Jacob's Ladder thing, uh, right? So, so, so all the games sort of have that general format, but they it's been this weird, sprawling sort of troubled franchise where they've never really gotten back around to nailing it the way they did with Silent Hill Two, um, and Silent Hill Three came along a couple of years later and was actually really similar to Silent Hill 2. Um, the biggest criticism I have of Silent Hill Three is just that it kind of felt like, oh, it's Silent Hill Two again. Uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot different about it, but considering right. how everything they've changed every time they've made new games later on has been shitty, I feel kind of bad for ever having that complaint. <laughs> um, but what Silent Hill 3 does that's interesting is it, well, interesting in a way, is it goes back to more of the canonical weird culty bullshit from the first game that the second game pretty much skipped. Um, and the second game was stronger for that because it didn't have this big elaborate sort of, oh, but then there was the cultists and the sacrificial child and the ancient things and whatnot. The, the, st- the second game was just spooky and self-contained. It was like a meditation on this guy's guilt over the death of his wife. Um, and all the other games tend to be, oh, yeah, meditation on, on guilt over bad deeds and also spooky cultists. Uh, <laughs> and a bunch of the trademarks, a bunch of the visual trademarks of, of the, the franchise are things that were specific to the story of Silent Hill 2, but then Silent Hill 2 was such a success uh, as, as a game uh, that they kept those things. So Pyramid Head, mm-hmm. uh, I, I really need to read up and, and see what sort of like the specific theory on Pyramid Head is. But roughly speaking, I think Pyramid Head was supposed to be just a reflection of some of the violence and self-loathing of the main character of Silent Hill 2, you know, sort of just like a dark reflection of his inner demons. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be some guy who lives in Silent Hill, but every fucking Silent Hill just every product needs to bring pyramid head back because he's like the Darth Vader of silent Hill. Now for some reason, he's the breakout character. Yes. The, 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 the dead, sexy, stabby nurses, uh, the silent Hill Two part of the plot with the, the protagonist is that, uh, his wife, uh, was sick for a long time and died. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so the the whole nurse thing plays into this wonderful idea that, you know, there was a lot of hospital time, a lot of medical stuff, but also a lot of him feeling guilty about the fact that he had a very sick wife and didn't essentially have a romantic or sexual relationship with her anymore. And then, hey, sexy nurses, ha, ha, ha. And so you tie all that in and, and you've got, you know, these wandering, horrible monsters reminding him of his, you know, confusion and guilt over uh, the changing of his attitude towards his wife as, as she uh, ailed and died. 
Uh, right. You know, so, so there's all this stuff that sort of ties in, uh, and then they just sort of smear that across all the other games. It's like, oh yeah, we got to have the, the the freaky nurses. We got to have Pyramid Head. You know, and it, it it's kind of a shame because it, it, it dilutes somewhat the power of that stuff in the the game itself in Silent Hill 2 if you come to that uh, after being exposed to all this other stuff whereas when you come into it just like blind it's fantastic I mean that's I I, I, I like scary movies obviously I like scary games uh, it's kind of hard to find a scary game and Silent Hill 2 is one of the few games where I really was like nope I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed and get back to this in the morning I was playing it uh, on the living room floor of my mother-in-law's house this was like uh, I was maybe still in college when we were home visiting or maybe I just got done with college. Uh, and I'm staying up and playing this till 1 a.m. with headphones on to not uh, you know wake anybody else up. And, and it's just like, it was, no, it was... <laughs> the soundtrack on this is amazing. The aesthetics of this are amazing. I'm creeped the fuck out. I just need to go to bed. Uh, so, you know, it's a really... Obviously, since I've been talking non-fucking-stop for 10 minutes about it, really sort of a, a culturally meaningful game for me and, and a, a big sort of touchstone in sort of the intersection of gaming and horror, especially uh, for me personally. Uh, and I'm bringing all of that baggage into look, seeing this film like I did the first time I did uh, when it came out eight years ago. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, that's the different uh, <laughs> starting points you and I have on this. Um, so I'm I'm actually I'm really curious yeah, about I your impressions like, of this because I, I I I don't I wasn't able to watch this film as someone who wasn't like nutso about the game series. So I'm really kind of curious about some of your impressions of it basically coming into it cold. Um hmm. I mean like the 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 main thing is is mostly that like I would hope that the game is better than this movie. <laughs> You know, whichever game, because I, it, it feels like, I mean, like for somebody who hasn't, you know, played the, the games and, you know, just has only, I mean, at this point, this point is now like the, after your, your explanation there, I'm now like at the, the, the apex of my knowledge of Silent Hill uh, trivia and, you know, just the general context of it. And I feel like, um, you know, they, the, the, the director and the writers that they, um, what do you call it? I'm sorry that they that, that they're sort of almost like writing Silent Hill fanfic I guess in that is this how reflective is this of like the video game itself or which whichever one of the video games I, does, I, does it follow the plot uh, too much I, I would say uh, you got the right uh, you got the right uh, general feel there it feels like a movie that's sort of built out of attempted fan service um, it's not. It's not a particularly close track of any of the games. If anything, it's it's not a bad uh, take on some of the plot elements of the first game, like the right. whole thing with Alessa being the sacrificial child, and then the little girl being, I guess, the reincarnation or daughter or resynthesis of an aspect of Alessa. Um, I think that all tracks, and it's been a while since I played the original Silent Hill uh, through, so I don't remember the details of how they resolve it. But but the basic notes there of the idea of some ostracized girl kept for bad purposes uh, is similar to what they they're doing in the film. Uh, so the the rough elements are sort of an, an analogous to the the first uh, first game. It, but it's um, not it's not a real close track of it overall. Right. 
it also felt very video gamey at times just because it sound it was any of the dialogue in this movie you know recorded on set <laughs> because it doesn't sound like it it's a, you know like how you know you you can have like a table read and you know during a table read you know people maybe don't like give all of the the intonation to the lines that they need to have but they do sound like they're speaking to each other yeah this is sort of the opposite of that where everybody is acting out their line but it's not there, there's no all of the conversations like feel like we're, we're listening to a summary of a conversation and not like an actual <laughs> conversation it was you know like the the sort of like crappy writing you get in you know in a, a a mediocre or poorly translated you know game like you know resident evil or, or silent yeah. hill or something along those lines a lot of the dialogue in this movie felt like that in that somebody responsible for a good portion of the dialogue was was not speaking english as a first language and and or, or and which i think is true um because at least the director's french right christopher gans christoph gans yeah he's the guy that did uh, brotherhood of the wolf oh okay um and beauty and the beast 2014 which i haven't seen and crying freeman Don't which is based that. on a it's based on a manga of uh this japanese yakuza hitman who uh or maybe a triad hitman i don't remember but uh, he cries when he kills people uh, that's his thing that's and he directed the Canadian film version of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, this movie was just very strange to watch. It had, like, a really, really odd sort of feel to it, um, which... And, you know, the only thing I could think of was it's just like, well, I guess the game must be like this, because, like, there's things in this movie that would work in a video game that do not work in a movie. Yeah. Or things that you would, like, cut more slack for in a video game, just because our expectations for, you know, what is good story and what is good presentation in a video game is much, much different than from a movie. Yeah. Um, did you ever see that, like, if uh, if movies were reviewed by, video like, video game articles uh, that came out a while ago? I don't know if I, I like did. Last I saw year, references two to years those. ago, where it was just like, well, the camera was, you know, focused on the actors the whole time, so <laughs> 7 out of 10 for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, it was... It was so plotting. This, there's no reason for this movie to have been two hours long. Like, I think if you would have cut, like, every time that she... Uh, what's her name? Rose? Yeah, every time Rose was running around yelling Sharon, if you cut every single one of those scenes in half, this movie would be 45 minutes long. Well, and, you know, one of the things... This is... I, I want to keep talking about the general things, but that was one of the weird little things in the movie. She, she yells, hey, a lot at what is clearly supposed to be Sharon and what she's clearly supposed to recognize as Heron. And if I, I feel like, I don't know why they went, because like, honestly, if I'm looking for my kid in a weird fucking place and I'm terrified and I know their name, I'm going to say their name when I see that. I'm going to be like, hey, my child's name. You know, I'm not going to yell hey at them. And I feel like the film was maybe trying to lead us to be a little bit more uncertain whether it's really Sharon or is it Alessa? I, and it's like, yeah, that's you know, the thing. I we're not sure. And I wasn't sure if she wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think she was supposed to be unsure. Like, she is, like, probably the, the last person in the film who was supposed to actually grapple with the idea that there's, like, some demon doppelganger. She's, like, she's the loyal mom looking for her, her daughter, you know? So yeah. it felt like the film was putting lines in her mouth that didn't fit her perspective. Uh, and I, I guess that's a thing with a lot of the film. Like, that, I will say, going back to the fan fiction and sort of fan service aspect of this, I feel like much of the weird odd pacing and scenes in the movie comes down to the fact that they seem to really want to try and get in a bunch of locations and visuals uh, to reference the games. And they just sort of 
prioritize that it seems like above having a coherent narrative and the thing is you could I, I can totally imagine a director's commentary on this defending some of that on the basis as well you know if you've seen the games if you're familiar with the games you understand that's it's it, it's a world that is disjointed and full of odd juxtapositions and there isn't a narrative thread because silent hill is a very strange place and blah 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 blah, blah you know and i think that would be a good goal to try and pinned down but they did not do it here in a way that actually matches up with how it feels in the game like in the game it's great but it's in the game it's great partly because of how games work and how we expect games to work uh the whole walls melting off uh and revealing sort of a metal skeletal wall underneath thing that happens yep. a couple times in the film uh, and i thought that by and large, I will say, I thought the effects actually looked pretty good in the in the movie, and we can talk some more about that. But that specific effect is something that's like really pivotal in the game because when that sort of thing happens, what the the flow of the game tends to be: you go to a new location, uh, maybe a hospital or a school or a church or whatever. You go to that location and you poke around in essentially a ghost town. Like there's nobody there. You're the only person in town, except for maybe a couple of other NPCs who wander in now and then uh, for odd interactions. Uh, so you're wandering around in this foggy town, you get to, say, the school, you go inside, you're looking for whoever you're looking for, you poke around the school, it's dark, you find a flashlight, uh, a lot of doors are locked, some aren't, there's creepy notes, you find a map, maybe, of the first floor, uh, but it's it's really kind of uneventful, like you're really sort of making your way through a quiet place and wondering when something's going to happen, but there's not a whole lot of jump scares uh, but then at some point, and this effect loses a little bit of its oomph once you've become familiar with it, but the first time, you, or first couple times you come across this in the game, it's fantastically scary and just sort of like, oh, I am fucked feeling. That whole wall peeling thing happens, like, uh, you know, air raid siren or whatever starts playing, industrial music comes in, the walls peel off, and all of a sudden you're in the same place, but the place has changed, and the layout of the place has changed. And so you've done the video game thing of sort of memorizing, oh, well, this door goes that way, and there's a hallway and whatnot, and all of a sudden... Your map is no good anymore. The doors that were locked are open. The ones that were open were locked. There's walls where there weren't and there aren't where there were. You know, it's very disorienting and it's something that works wonderfully in a game because like your way of interacting with a game is all about sort of mapping the territory in real time and, and, and making yourself familiar with this space. So then when that all just gets completely, you know, upheaved, can you say upheaved? Upheaved. Uh, it's got a very direct effect on how you're experiencing the game. And with a film, I don't think you can really get that so much. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I mean, like I was not making sure, like I, I did not know. I mean, I'm generally not very good at this, which is why I don't play a lot of video games that don't have maps in them. But um, like, you know, I had to like the, the fact that there was like a transition from like the regular world to the dark world or whatever, which is like a pretty recurring video game trope. You know, I could, you know, there's dark seed and uh, link and silent Hill where you just go into like a world that's very much like the one you came from, but everything is just slightly different enough to be alienating and, you know, to pose a challenge based on, you know, like everything you've encountered before being wrong now, where in the movie, it was just like, when that happens, I'm just like, what, it's like, are we transitioning somewhere? Are we going through time? Like, I wasn't sure because, you know, like the the layout of, you know, where she was traveling through was not very cemented in my head. It was all just a bunch of, you know, like disconnected little scenes. So um, when that transition happened, I wasn't 100% sure what was even happening. Yeah, exactly. It, it's and, and it's it's something that I feel like the the movie suffers from trying to be a movie for fans of the game. Uh where 
me as a fan of the game, I'm kind of like, oh, well, they did a nice job of capturing and rendering that uh, transition sequence from the games. Yes. But that's not how you want to describe a film. And anybody who hasn't played the games is probably just going to be like, uh, you know, because it's, yeah, it's like, and, and it's not even like, as someone who's played the game, it's not even satisfying for me uh, watching the movie because like, I like, I, I, as soon as, as soon as my defense of a directorial decision is, oh, I really like what they did with the effects here. Obviously something is not, you know, really <laughs> cracking with the scene. And, and I mean, not, to be fair to this film, we've certainly had the same sort of conversation about portions of some like John Carpenter films. I mean, Prince of Darkness right. is similarly a film that has, you know, at times the best thing to say about a given scene is that they did a really nice job with the effects. But, uh, but this whole movie kind of lacks a, lacks a core that I would see anybody really latching onto. Like I have trouble imagining someone really feeling motivated by empathy for the characters in this film and wanting yeah, to succeed I, in their non-specific goals, you know? Yeah. I mean like there's a lot of things I, I appreciated about this movie, my ability to identify or empathize with the characters, not one of them by far. Um, it was just, yeah, like I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure why this was even an option to be like, all right, well, our kids are constantly freaking out. Uh, Tris saying, home, home, Silent Hill. Let's just go to Silent Hill. That that makes sense. And, you know, just, just me and you, though, not not your dad, because he doesn't agree with this. So, yeah. <laughs> heads up. Um, yeah, like, just none of, like, very few of the decisions in this movie, I, I think, make sense. And very few of them, I think, were written to make sense. It, yeah. It's just not one of those kind of movies. Um, but I think if you're not going to be one of those kind of movies, you need to have much more to hang your film on than this film has. Yeah. Um, by far. Um, I mean, and you know, there are parts that, and there's just like really just totally inexplicable things about this movie that also take me out of it. Like the fact that Rose is, I guess when she is not like looking for her daughter in, in, in Silent Hill, like I'm pretty sure her day job is like super spy or something because she is like the most physically capable and fearless person in this entire movie. Like she does not think twice about like, you know, the movie starts off with them like chasing her and she just like ends up like on the edge of a waterfall, just sort of hanging out there being like, Oh, well now I got to tackle her out of the way. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, there's like the scene where she has to like get over like, you know, some sort of a ditch and you know, like in a video game, be like, all right, you know, character jumps onto this little stand, jumps onto this little thing, like in a platform or something and be like, okay, but watching a movie being like, you're really confident about not falling to your death doing this. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and there was just yeah so like there's a lot of things to appreciate about this movie but like my my connection with the characters was not one of them yeah. Sean Bean literally only in this movie because somebody complained about this movie not having enough men in it really yeah they're like hey let's go get Sean Bean and stick him in it yeah apparently like at one point either the director or the writer just got like a notes back on the script that just said like no men exclamation point um, and that's why had like that totally <laughs> that was the problem <laughs> yeah. well it's interesting because that led to uh, Silent Hill Revelation actually he's in it a lot more he's basically the star of, of Revelation him and uh, his grown up daughter which uh, oh geez I'll get into that at some point here but uh, but yeah basically he gets a bunch more screen time that he doesn't seem to be enjoying anymore the second time uh, the, the script certainly didn't get any better um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I want to recommend Silent Hill Revelation specifically to anybody who's actually played Silent Hill 3, just because it, it's a lot more doting as far as an actual attempt to like recreate one of the games as a movie. This 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 film is basically a, a pastiche of a bunch of Silent Hill themes and, and visuals. Uh, Silent Hill Revelation is like someone said, you know what? We should turn Silent Hill three into a movie. Um, and so there's some interesting stuff there. It's actually a little bit better in terms of just like raw. Let's not worry about making a good movie fan service because there's a bunch of visual stuff that's pretty neat and and clearly clearly someone involved in that one really 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 knew the source game uh whereas this game it's kind of like clearly some people involved are familiar with the franchise but i'm not really sure beyond that what they did besides watch some stuff yeah. on youtube i mean i was actually expecting this to be for some reason i, I didn't think it was a u-bowl movie but i was expecting it to be like roughly the quality of a u-bowl movie and i mean it wasn't that at the very least it wasn't that you know it was actually well crafted yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's not a there's not a ton technically wrong with the film. It, it, no. It's shot well. The effects are by and large really solid. There yeah, were there, a I mean, there's like a, a couple of moments where it. it's just like, wow, that sure is you know expensive, but not entirely convincing CGI. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Some of the CGI is a little bit like borderline at times, but you know, I mean, that's yeah. about as bad as it gets. Is a little bit borderline. It's yeah. a lot of it looks really great. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, visually, it's you know all of the uh, you know the there's a couple of like you know uh, what do you call them uh, centerpieces or or whatever like just just horror things that happen that are like you know the the the, the things you talk about in this movie because um, most of the movie is just you know Rose running around in like this really ghost town yeah. washed out looking setting. Um, just encountering the next scary ass thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was the, uh, what's the first thing she encounters? I think it's like the, 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 the hideous, like baby, armless baby things. Oh yeah. The, the little like burning coal children, monster things or whatever. Yeah. Like, like hundreds of them just like, you know, pounce her. And then for, and I know I didn't understand why she screams and they all just sort of vanish. I, I don't understand why either. Uh, yeah. One thing I will say about the the game that is another interesting thing that works well in a game, uh, you know, and and, and and I should just for anybody who happens to be super pedantic about this, I should clarify that I'm mostly thinking of Silent Hill 2 when I talk about this stuff, but I'm also, I'm sure, smearing all it together. So if I reference something that wasn't in Silent Hill 2 as if it was or vice versa, just just deal with it. Uh, I'll, I promise I'll play Silent Hill two again sometime soon and <laughs> nail down my, you know, if, if you, if you were not on the other side of the fucking country, I would make you sit down with me and we would just spend a weekend playing through Silent Hill two. And you could like, I wouldn't mind that. Like I would, if, if I was just like hanging out on the couch and you were playing it like that, that's fine. I've spent countless hours of my life doing exactly that. And it's a, it's a pretty spectatable game too. I actually played through Silent Hill three with a couple of friends over, uh, in a couple of sessions, uh, played through it and, and, they seem to enjoy uh, seeing. I mean, this. I think with the. I mean, if you've got a really decent PC, you could just do it through an emulator and stream it on Twitch. Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, they may have even. Yeah, they may even have done a PC release. They did a re-release of Silent Hill two and three, uh, like a seven twenty p update. Uh, so they may put that out on PC. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, I don't remember exactly where I was going with that other than, oh, right. So the games, uh, one of the things that works in the game is you can really have a weird juxtaposition, a, a, a strange cut, and you don't really have to explain it because it's a game and you're, you kind of have to just carry on. Uh, right. You're motivated you know, by the structure of what you're doing 
uh, to continue despite things being confusing. Whereas in a film, if, if a cut just makes no fucking sense, you either are going to be interested in the fact that it made no sense or just like, what the fuck, you know, and it's really on the film to convince you to sort of stay with it. Um, so in the game, there were times uh, where shit just seemed hopeless. And instead of having some sort of solution, uh, you'd sort of more or less wake up. And so the transition from day to night with the stuff melting off and then from night to day, just to use night as a, like, I don't know if it's supposed to literally be nighttime, but, you know, dark, the darkness, uh, the tradition, the transition from dark to, to, to light was often sort of inexplicable, sort of unexplained, uh, and oftentimes on the heels of something terrible happening. And then you're just there, which works with the sort of mystery of what is the nature of this place? Are, are you actually alive at this point? Or are you in some sort of strange afterlife? You know, are you experiencing waking nightmares or are you even capable of wakefulness? I feel like the whole big question of like, what is the state of a person who is in silent Hill is sort of the main one hanging over the, the, the series and the franchise. Uh, but that works well. Like you can do weird stuff in a game and it doesn't seem totally fucking goofy. It just seems creepy. Uh, there's a, there's a point at one point in silent Hill two where you go down into like the basement of something like an old prison or something. I don't remember exactly where this happens. Uh, so you go down into a basement and some stuff happens and you end up basically fleeing and you, you end up fleeing farther downward. So you go down another, another level um, and then at some point you basically find a, a pit that you just need to jump down and then you find a pit that you need to jump down and, and it, it becomes increasingly like even though nothing is like you're not getting a bad message when you go down here you're not being attacked by things for going down there you're not falling to your death you're just going down but you keep going down and it becomes super super creepy and weird because like you know like the question whenever you're going farther down is how do I get back up and the game I never this is not a game where you find that, you know, elevate elevator in the coal shaft that takes you back up to the surface. You just keep going down and eventually the game has you back up on the surface, waking up or, or coming to or something and it's light out. And the refusal to explain that the refusal to give you any sort of satisfaction as to how it even makes sense that you went down and down and down and down and down. And, down and, down and then we're sort of back at the street uh, really works for the game. It really works in sort of, you know, pushing how much this is, okay, this is a metaphorical experience. This is a strange figure of place. This is not something that you can rationalize your way out of. Um, and I feel like the film doesn't do that as much, uh, possibly because they figured it doesn't really work on film. Because what are you going to do? You're going to have her do some impossible navigation and then say, wow, that navigation really seemed impossible. Then that's going to be cornball as shit. But if you have her say nothing about it, he's like, why is she not noticing that this is going on? And I think when it comes back to is basically the film can't just say oh by the way she's dead and this is all a, a, a psychological fantasia you know because we want to be motivated by following the protagonist and rooting for her and hoping she finds her daughter and hoping she fights off these cultists and hoping things come out okay and it's harder to do that uh, when you're told up front or made to feel up front that there's not maybe any real consequences because this is all the afterlife or whatever um, and the game can do that because the game is about your experience as the person relating to the world through the character that you're steering. But the movie, you're trying to relate to the character. You know, I feel like I feel like that's the the sort of core conflict in what just doesn't work so much about this movie, uh, despite its attempt to try and capture things that really did work in the games. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can see that. Like, if you if you're not in control, um, there needs to be like a reason for the things that the person, like, you know, when you're in a video game and you know you're you're doing something stupid because you know the video game either wants you to or you know it's. It, you know, it just goes back to like, you know, all the the beginning of video games, basically, you know, you t- take Pong. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to hit the paddle off the thing because that's what the game wants me to do. You know, eventually you get to more and more sophisticated video games. The game wants you to do something. So you do it, even though like if if you were watching this in a movie or if it was real life, it wouldn't make any fucking sense for you to do any of this. But, you know, you're still you're doing it. You have like a sense of uh, there's, you know, there's impetus for it. You have like a sense of determination what you're doing, even though the action itself doesn't make a lot of sense. You still do it. There's payoff. It either works or it doesn't. You keep going. or You don't. You get that. You get the uh, what do you call it? Um you know, the positive or negative feedback, the reinforcement that, yeah. you know, shows you that, you know, you are playing within the game's rules or you're not. And, you know, the, it, there's a, there's an own internal logic that, you know, even if it doesn't make too much sense, if you were to, like, observe it completely from the outside, it still makes sense because you're in it. When you take that in a movie, you, you lose a whole lot of that, you know, suspension of disbelief because you're no longer in control. And now, like, the weird thing the person is doing is just kind of weird and, and doesn't make a lot of sense and takes you out of it instead of, you know like plunging you further into it because like your your own brain is getting better at you know figuring out what the game wants and thinking like the game wants you to when you when it ends up in a movie it's it's just sort of the opposite it's just like well none of this is making sense and you know like i don't have a grasp of the internal logic of this so i i just you know like it, it breaks the suspension of disbelief yeah and i i think i think it's i think it's doable to sort of use that weird fractured this doesn't make sense thing well i mean that that was part of why you know my comment during Jacob's Ladder was that Jacob's Ladder was a better Silent Hill movie than the Silent Hill movie because right. it really took that weird unsettling nature of being unsure about what's going on and being in sort of like a undefined sort of mad experience of, of of the world and it made it really work in a way that you know as much as we had questions when we were talking about that film you know we were like well but why did this happen and turns out some of the answers was well because they re- edited that scene um it still felt like it was a satisfying mystery. Like, you know, I was along for the ride with Jacob trying to figure out what the nature of the shit going down was rather than just being like, but why would you do that? Like nothing he did seemed super crazy in and of itself. Like crazy things were happening and he was seeming to try and cope with them rather than either ignoring them or just willfully saying, Hey, let's have some weird stuff now. You know, it, right. So finding that balance seems very hard. And yeah, I feel like this film by and large did not find that balance is, is kind of the problem. Um, should we talk about any details? <laughs> I realize I haven't like looked at my notes at all. Uh, um, I, no, go ahead. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I will say uh, that waterfall devil's punch bowl in Ontario. So it's an actual crazy waterfall to some extent, huh. although I'm sure there was some compositing or whatever that big glowing cross in the background, right at that, first scene where they're hugging Sharon and like looking determined and she hasn't been jumping off a waterfall. There's this giant uh, cross in the background. That's apparently just something in Ontario. So, hmm. uh, so there you go. Canada. Yeah. That's Canada's the part big, of the uh, you know what? I feel like I saw like a, when I was in Montreal, I saw a giant cross somewhere, but I don't know if they light it up at night is how close is Montreal to where's Ontario, Canada. Uh, I'm not great at Canada <laughs> geography I'm or geography great. in general. I mean, yeah, but, yeah. Um, just trying to think of details. Um, I, I I will say that uh, Sharon shouting "Silent Hill, Silent Silent Hill" in her thrashing oh, sleepwalking. Yeah. 
that may be a land speed record for saying the title of the film in the film. Yeah, no, I have actually, like, I have in my second line of notes in my notebook, it just says, has Silent Hill in all caps with an exclamation mark right after it is super dangerous to not have any railings around <laughs> this thing. I, I don't know how they knew she was there. Like, like, like Rose takes off like a motherfucker. Like, she's clearly, yeah. oh no, Sharon's sleepwalking, gotta find Sharon. But she, I mean, she bolts in a very specific direction. So does Sharon specifically have a history of going to this waterfall if there's gotta be because otherwise again my theory of like rose being a a you know 007 type spy with like you know uh skills and reconnaissance and and tracking and stuff would the only reason that would make sense yeah that they would you know follow her right to there yeah the, the, the whole opening of the film really it feels like they were trying to get to Silent Hill as fast as they could which I can kind of understand because it's your signature property but they also didn't get it th- get there that fast they just got there in a weird clumpy way yeah when they hung out under a tree for a little while and uh, yeah also and, and the, uh, the the web pages that Sean Bean opens about Silent Hill are <laughs> really just from 1994 yeah that seems. Has, I feel like. Have we ever seen a good-looking uh, web page in a horror film about like uh, when someone goes to look at the web page for the thing? I almost feel like people. Who at make least this movies, one actually had Google in it, and not like yeah. search fun or <laughs> or something like that. I, um, I, I feel like there's almost maybe even aside from the weird way that computer UIs manifest for various reasons in films. I feel like there might be a tendency in horror films to be like, oh no, but it should have one of those sort of crappy, spooky old pages like someone who's crazy maintains this by hand using Dreamweaver. Yeah, um, that's... In a horror movie, you never never follow the advice on like a good, slick-looking webpage. Yeah, you, you always you, go to that shitty GeoCities page that's got like the 50 pop-ups uh, and, you know, half-dead links yeah, and a bunch you, of missing images. You never see a default world, WordPress theme. Yeah. Have you movie. ever? Um, have you been to the? Remember the uh, in in the Conjuring that the you know it was based on like the the two real investigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to their website? No. It is well. I mean, it's her website now because I think her husband died a while yeah. ago. But it is just exactly that. Like you know, GeoCities like can't read the text because of the uh, you know they used an image for the background, so you can't see like the yellow italicized text over it. So you have to highlight it. It's it's very much one of those web pages. Like yeah. I can't tell if that's just a running joke or a uh, what do you call it? Um, just one of those things. Shitty website. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh. uh you know, a, a general thing about the film, another thing that I liked more or less was the soundtrack, but I'm kind of curious how the soundtrack struck you because I'm coming at it from very specifically again from this perspective. Oh, I, I liked games. it a lot. And like I was just reading up about it before we were doing the podcast. And apparently the entire soundtrack is just taken from like the first three games or it pretty much felt like, like I didn't know if they literally just lifted all the tracks as is or if they reworked <laughs> some of the stuff. But it's it, it was absolutely uh it, and it's, it's such a weird collection of elements too. It's a soundtrack that I really like because it's got a, a nice, creepy, jarring nature to it. There's a little sort of, uh, it's not a mandolin, but it's uh, maybe a koto. I don't know. I, there, there, there's a, a, a bright, chimey, creepy, uh, tremolo-picked uh, string thing right in the beginning of the film. Uh, that's one of the main sort of Silent Hill themes musically. Uh, that I, I think is just one of the was best. Was it a late motif? Uh, well, yeah. um, no, it was on time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's that that's a recurring uh, yeah musical element in the games. Uh, but the weird sort of collection of also just sort of like low tempo, sort of like down tempo, dreamy, uh, almost massive attackish uh, Japanese pop music too comes up in the film uh, in the games a lot and. And yeah, so I, yeah, I guess I was just really curious because like that, I was just willing to be totally happy with and say, Hey, you know me, you know what I like in a Silent Hill experience. Uh, But it seems like such a a slightly odd motley collection of musical elements. I didn't know if it came off as weird, like, why are they playing a pop song now? Or if it really worked for you? Uh, It, it. It did at no point did it get in the way. At some points it worked, and at some points it's just like I know that there was background music, but I can't tell what it is. I don't remember what it was. But at other points it was just like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. I'm actually trying to find um, somebody. I guess made a compilation of the songs from the Silent Hill soundtracks that were in this movie, um, and I'm trying to track it down, but it's proving difficult. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I enjoyed the uh, the music in this. Um, uh, the the cinematography too was was like there are some really well framed shots um, all the way in the beginning of the movie um, when Rose is uh, chasing uh, Sharon you know she stops in that like uh, underpass and the way that the shot is framed is like you, like you see her like holding Rose's teddy bear and she's like in front of this graffitied wall with like this big solid crack running all the way down the wall directly in front of her and then you know like she stops there she yells Sharon's name and there's like a brief pause and then you know like she crosses over the line and drops the toy at the same time and it was just like that was uh, you know hey somebody's trying yeah yeah that was you know pretty good and then you know right after that it goes into like the the CGI like mine shaft thing which was just not great at all <laughs> Um, a lot of uh, maybe think of uh, my bloody Valentine a lot. I mean, I guess yeah, the, I there's only so too. much stuff you can do with you know mine shaft imagery. Um, but yeah, like the hanging costumes and like the the, the mine shaft, like you know the creepy mine shaft uh, clothing. Was was there mine shaft stuff in the games? Uh, probably. Uh, I mean the whole the whole underground coal fire thing, which I don't remember how much they touched on in this one. That that was a big theme in the uh, the the newer one, Revelation. Uh, they played with that a bunch, uh, although not necessarily in an interesting way. Uh, yeah. But I don't feel like... I, I don't remember if the games tried to establish the idea that it was ash from the underground coal fire that created the fogginess, or if it was just sort of fogginess. Like, I really don't remember that, for example, right. from Silent Hill 2, even though maybe that was part of the canonical explanation in Silent Hill 1. Um, but yeah, it feels like the movie tied into that sort of coal fire stuff a bit more than the games really ever bothered to focus on. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought of My Bloody Valentine too. I was like, uh, as soon as the, the, the gas masks, I'd forgotten about those, even though I'd seen this, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I immediately was thinking, oh, okay, well, let's let's get some uh, let's get some Canadian beer up in here. And <laughs> um, and I'm trying to remember what that brand was, and I can't. Was it Moosehead? <laughs> or, I, maybe it was Moosehead. That sounds good. Uh, this podcast is also about any podcasts where we mention Moosehead is brought to you by Moosehead and uh, we get a, a case each of beer retroactive. Once they start fulfilling that, I'm sure they will one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. Just get several cases of <laughs> shitty old Canadian beer. <laughs> and it's left over uh, from, from the shooting supplies yeah. uh, when they made the film. Uh, it's just been sitting out in the sun for a couple of decades. There's a creepy strung up dude in a bath 
gas mask in that whole yeah, sequence. Yeah. Uh, that that's very that's very much the game sort of thing. You, you tend to have like weird, horrible body horror torture type things, just almost as background elements. Uh, like the fact that it was just a squealy, horrible thing there, rather than something that was chasing her. But it's it's fucking horrific. That 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 actually sort of fits with the tone of the game, where once you get into the dark area, you see all sorts of gross, organic. Uh, stuff that's just sort of crying out to be in a in a horror film effect. How does she know when she ends up um, in like the 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 what do you call it the um, oh what the hell do you call that thing the 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 stall the toilet stall that like yes. the fallen monster is in? How does she know to go into its mouth to get a thing out? I have no idea. I have no fucking idea. And that's something that probably because the probably because the interaction button came up in the game is what happened. So if we just remember that she's actually playing a Silent Hill game, then we can imagine like 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 the the interface stuff that David was able to apparently see in Prometheus, but didn't end up in the <laughs> film. Same thing here. She can see it's actually got a, a a gray circle with a blue X on it. So she's just like, oh, press X to take the thing out of his mouth. Yeah, and like, in a video game, it would make sense because like, well, I'm looking at this from a certain angle. I guess from another angle, she must have noticed that thing in his mouth, but the game wants me to take it out of there. Yeah. So yeah, and I in the will. Game, and in a movie, it's just like, yeah. yeah. Like the game can tell you to do random weird things, and because your interaction with the world is mediated by what you can do, it sort of makes sense for it to ask you to do odd things or suggest that it's possible to do odd Press things. Press X to Jason. Yes, I, I kept thinking of that throughout this entire fucking movie. <laughs> if, if you don't know what that is, um, what what was the game? Was it? It wasn't um, Indigo Chapter or uh, what was the game with the Press X to Jason? Uh, uh, heavy Rain. Uh, Indigo, no, I think well, is it Heavy Rain? Well, uh, you, yeah, it's Heavy Rain or, or Indigo heavy. Prophecy. I mean, we're, you're talking about one of those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's Heavy yeah, Rain. It's Heavy Rain called, at the beginning. You're looking for your kid. That's yeah. It, it's, it's a game called Heavy Rain. That's uh, it was a PS3 game where it was just like a murder mystery sort of like murder um, and kidnapping, and yeah, you're trying to yeah. Your son, your son goes missing right at the beginning of the game in a mall, and you have to run around, and then the the command prompt is press. Uh, Oh no! It's just Jason with with the, like the X button prompt. Yeah. Like the button is just Jason, and you you press it and you scream Jason. Yeah. Um, and there was like a, there's a parody song. Well, not a parody, but like a a song, uh, internet song called "Press X to Jason," uh, made out of it, and it was um, it's pretty cute. And then that's all I could think of every time she screamed out "Share." <laughs> Someone's pressing the button. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a it's a really interesting game. Both both that and the one before it, Indigo Prophecy, are really interesting attempts to do stuff with narrative and interaction in games. They're they're not they're not amazing games as just pure gameplay, but they're definitely worth futzing with because. Yeah, I had some friends who were very, very fond of Indigo Prophecy. I had a P- I had somebody's PS2 copy, but I never ended up playing it. No, the, the main problem with Indigo Prophecy is they just ran out of time and bit off more than they could chew, and so the game sort of just like shits its pants in the last act. Like Act Three is just for like, and now here's everything that we were trying to take the previous two acts and tie them into, but we don't really have the material for that. So now a bunch of stuff is happening. There's crazy stuff. Have fun. You know, it, it was sort of weird. Heavy rain was a better attempt to create an overall arc. Uh, even if it was also a little bit weird at times itself. Uh, anyway, that, yes. Uh, press that, press that game I keep getting confused with heavy rain. Um, it's, it's like a weird twin peaksy sort of thing. Oh, Oh, that uh, was, yes, uh, yes. like, sort of campy sort of on purpose and became a big cult hit I, I, I love it I've played it and I can never remember the name when I first oh Deadly Premonition that's it yes. Deadly Premonition uh, Deadly Premonition is kind of wonderful 
Uh, it's it's such a hard thing to recommend because I want to recommend people play it because I really ended up loving it. But mm-hmm. I ended up loving what the game managed to accomplish in total, and and the end is weird and more ambitious and strange and surprising narratively than I would have expected uh, for most games, and certainly from that game itself earlier on because it just sort of felt goofy for a while, and then they kind of really pulled off a pretty solid finish to it. Uh, but it is such a it is such a miserably designed game mechanically like you really have to like there was play some like bad video H- game there's an hd re-release that fixes some of like the more annoying stuff yeah i haven't checked that out i don't know um i would consider replaying it sometime but this is the sort of thing that that would be best to play with like 10 people drunk like <laughs> like really just ever- like it was designed yeah <laughs> i mean me and me and angela played through it uh, and we sort of took turns playing and 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 made our way through it but it was uh yeah, it, it's rough a lot, uh, that game, um, despite all its wonderful weirdness. Uh, children's drawings? I just want to note yeah. as a recurring, uh, uh, this is totally a horror movie thing. Yeah, my wife has explained to me like the concept of children's drawings a bunch of times because she is an artist, and apparently like you need to have actual children draw children's draw- drawings, which is the only way to make them look accurate. Yeah. <laughs> An adult can't actually do that, and I mean, you know, I, I, she she explains it a lot better than I can. But yeah, like that's all I can think of every time I see children's drawings. It's just like I wonder if these were made by actual children. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and the uh, the children's drawings, and then there was like the, the the big painting that was like reflected the the children's drawings just from like the the opposite. Uh, you know, like the children's drawings were all of uh, Sharon slash Alessa being like burned at the stake and being very sad about it by, you know, terrible people. And there was like that big painting that was the inverse of like, you know, all of the, uh, the, the what do you call it, the faithful, uh, pious townspeople burning yeah. the witch. It's the yeah. same scene. I thought that was kind of a pretty clever juxtaposition. Um, who puts a hotel door behind a painting, though? Yeah, I don't know. That was, that was a little not bit a, confusing. Not a fucking... And and the scene where she was just like memorize this map, <laughs> that was <laughs> like oh yeah yeah no problem that was no. that was that was incredibly hey it's a video game remember the map in the video because the map is super fucking important in the game you really do have to like just like make a fucking run for it at times and knowing where stuff is is really helpful and you spend a lot of time going to the map just to give yourself a break from the freaky fucking thing chasing you and you're like uh, I, let me just double check the map and so finding a map and then figuring out it sort of marks as you go which doors are locked where things are um, so it's a, it's a real core part of the gaming experience but it makes no fucking sense in the movie no. uh, and they it's didn't like even left, right, yeah, you know, room in seed left no no human being can do that and they, 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 yeah they didn't even do anything interesting with it either like like and the map you see is like it's straight up a map from the game like the exact look of it is like that's the map screen uh which i found sort of ridiculous and and hilarious um but yeah they, yeah they, they they do the memorization thing just i feel like they just wanted an excuse to have that map which is the dumbest thing to like rework a scene of a movie to make happen because because they do nothing with it. Like, the fact that she memorized a route and then followed the route, we get zero feedback on that because it's not like we're memorizing the map. There's not like there's anything interesting about the process of navigation that, you know, her memorizing it aids. And it also didn't really work because, like, as far as I'm aware, hospitals are not laid out like, you know, mazes. There's just, like, a logical progression of just, like, all right, go to the third floor and go to room, you know, 15B. You just turn a corner over here and go this way instead of that way because it's faster because you just have to make a rotation around the, uh, what do you call it, the nurse's station. Like, 
I, I had no idea why she was just like, all right, now you have to go left at room 17. So you have to go right. What, what, whatever yeah. she was no, navigating go down the hall and head. take a right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah it it, it would almost make sense for her to be memorizing a map of the reconfigured dark place, but that's not what that was either. So it's like, uh, and I don't understand the motivation of, uh, uh, the Borg queen. Uh, she'll always be the Borg queen to me, whatever her name is, was Christabel in this, the, the, the cult leader, um, Mm-hmm. I don't understand what her motivation in taking Rose to the hospital there is because it seems like they realize after the fact that Rose is is uh, a witch that she's the mother of uh, a lesser reincarnated when she sees the locket so she freaks out at that point and they try and kill her and then Laurie Holden uh, the lady cop manages to uh, buy Rose a little bit of time to escape into the hospital to go look where she was going to look in the first place so it's established that they're trying to stop Rose from doing this thing where she goes and looks. Yep. So clearly previously they did want to help her try and succeed. I mean, they're basically like, Hey, you got a death wish, but if you want to try, you can go, we'll show you how. Uh, but then it later on, it seems like that was totally misdirection anyway. And they had Sharon somewhere else. So why did they, if they were trying to help Rose in the first place, take her to what was clearly not a place where she was going to find Sharon anyway. And if they didn't want her to succeed, what was their motivation in taking her in their first place that they then changed their motivation to trying immediately to kill her once they realized she's someone other than who she was? Like, I didn't... Maybe there's something that I just blinked and missed in the narration there, but mostly it just feels like it made no fucking sense because they needed to get the hospital into the yeah, movie, too. Yeah, I, I drifted off during the movie <laughs> several times. <laughs> oh, that's right, um, you were saying. And you. just, like, just thinking about it now, I'm just like... it. Yeah, why? Why was she? They why were they helping her? I, I can't. I cannot figure it out. Yeah. Um, if anybody, maybe they if thought that, they, did that she was going to stop, like Alessa, who was you know horribly burned, um, that she could like stop her because Alessa was causing all the problems for all the people that lived in in Silent Hill, right? She yeah. was the reason for the air raid sirens, and you know maybe they thought that you know somehow that she could stop her instead of like actually helping her. I mean, that I actually kind of liked about the movie, the fact that there are no really clear good or bad guys in it. There's just, like, a bunch of really, really messed up people and monsters, and Rose just has to sort of, you know, kind of, like, Yojimbo her way out of it while getting yeah. her daughter back. Um, I, I kind of... Oh, oh I, I, I see what you mean. I was, I was going to say, I feel like the cultists are pretty definitively bad people. Like, but, but yeah, it's not, like, it's not the good people versus the bad people in the film because yeah Alessa's not exactly oh hey yeah Alessa you're 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 a good person let's let's get down with this whole flaying people alive as revenge for your ill treatment yeah. thing uh but yeah I really like the 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 imagery of like you know the horribly like mutilated girl like in her floating hospital bed with like the IV and all the barbed wire that that was pretty cool that was very um anime-y, I guess. Like yeah. that, that, that's just like a very anime visual image and seeing it brought to life like that was, you know, it maybe wasn't like the best fucking CGI, but it looked real cool. Yeah. Um, it was like a, almost like a little Nemo sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, and a little bit Hellraiser too. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed uh, the, uh, yeah, there was the barbed the, yeah, it wire. Yeah, got really Hellraiser-y toward the end. Yeah. Um, when, uh, you know, like the one kill that Pyramid Head gets, which was, what's her name, Anna? Oh yeah, the yeah. When he like yeah, it was actually really cool looking. Um, you know, he like lifts her, uh, like he grabs her by the head, I think, and lifts her up, and just like rips all of her clothes off in like one one tear. And then like you know, you see uh, Rose looking, and she's just like, oh no. And then Pyramid Head just like 
the exact same motion rips all of her like skin off just flays her alive yeah um which i thought that was you know that there's not a lot of cool looking kills in this movie but that was definitely one of them yeah that was that was interesting that, that was a moment that I, I had forgotten that uh from having seen it previously and i had a moment of like oh really when he tore off her clothes like are we really just yeah. like, going to a w-? and then and then he immediately tears her skin i was like oh okay i uh, I'll, I'll run with this as, as yeah, a the, sucker the punch from, yeah the relief from that not being sexual <laughs> violence was one of the well, uh and that's a really interesting thing because that's the, in a sense that's that's something that's actually a little bit disloyal to the character of Pyramid Head. Uh, Pyramid Head, when he first appears in Silent Hill Two, where he first shows up, uh, he's this completely unexplained, unnamed, uh, just entity, and you're taking your protagonist through a, an apartment building trying to find some information or find some some mode of egress to another part of town. Uh, for whatever reason, you're wandering through this apartment building. It's creepy. It's dark. Uh, there's strange noises. There's flashes of images. You're trying to find uh, somebody. I don't remember exactly who you had been chasing right at that moment. Um, but anyway, you're making your way through this, and at some point, there's a sudden sort of event where you need to hide in a closet because there's some commotion and oh shit. Uh, so you hide in a closet and you're sort of watching through the slats, and what you see is uh, this weird double ended uh, mannequin monster, like a, a pair of legs. And then at the waist attached there instead of a torso is another pair of legs in the other direction. So it could sort of flip. So it's nothing but a walking, you know, set of legs, which again, with the game playing with sort of the imagery of objectification and, and his sort of relationship with his sexuality and desire outside of his marriage when his wife was sick and dying. Uh, these things, we've seen a couple of them before, I think. And then Pyramid Head wanders in. It's like, what the fuck is this? There's some dude with a great big metal thing on his head and then he's basically just raping this pair of pairs of legs uh on like a kitchen sink uh down the hall from where you're looking through the slats and the whole thing is really fucking weird as shit it's 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 random weird sexualized violence out of nowhere none none of it makes sense you don't know why it's happening the things that it's happening to are you know pretty thoroughly dehumanized uh, but at the same time it's it's hard to get away from the fact that it is this odd sudden interjection of this sexual violence into the the stuff you're seeing in this place you're wandering through um and that's sort of like the introduction of, of pyramid head to the gamer and then he shows up again later in the game a few times um, and there's a big confrontation at the end, actually, where you have to fight a couple of pyramid heads. Um, and so the fact that the film has him as sort of just this uh, hulking force of nature with a big sword with no sort of reflection as to why he is or what he represents or anything. He's just like, oh, it's the big dude with the pyramid head and the, the giant sword. It sort of doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the film. And I'm I'm I'm. I remain entirely glad that we didn't have weird random sexual violence in the film there. But at the same time, it's kind of funny, like where they decide to show some modicum of restraint is the one place where it would have actually been in character with the established, uh, franchise they're referencing, uh, to have done so. So it's, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd moment. I still don't. Yeah. I, I still have mixed feelings about the, Hey, let's just throw in some nudity there. But, uh, but at least they, 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 they got through it quickly. Yeah. Um, and speaking of such things, film really passes the Bechdel test with flying colors. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Which was, I was just like, as I kept, so if you don't know, um, do you want to explain it? Or do you want uh, me to explain Bechdel's, it? There's a, there's a lady named... Uh, Alison Bechdel. Is it Alison? 
Uh, I want to say Allison, um, but uh, she, she's she's a cartoonist uh, and writer. She's uh, got a Allison. She, she she wrote a great uh, graphic novel, sort of autobiographical graphic novel about growing up uh, in a funeral home. Uh, well, her family was in the funeral business uh, called Fun Home that I absolutely recommend. It's fantastic. But she's also, she's also got a long running uh, comic strip. Uh, oh shit! What's the name of her? Dykes comic? to watch out yes, for. Yes, Dykes to watch out for. Um, anyway, she's a uh, great artist, super smart, very funny. Um, Just won the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, MacArthur Grant? Yeah. She just won yeah. a MacArthur Grant? Yeah, she just won a, a Genius Grant. Um, mm-hmm. Well-deserved. Just like, you know, really great uh, in general. Does does fantastic work and a lot of fun to read. Uh, but also, you know, willing to be fairly challenging about a lot of uh stuff including feminist issues and and so she posited just as an offhand thing i mean this was not her saying here is the new metric she just at one point characterized a brief test for whether or not a a film uh is even like you know remotely not uh problematic in terms of use of female characters is if at any point in the film there are two female characters who have a conversation not about a man and and the it's a very small, simple set of uh, requirements. You know, it's like, all, first of all, do you have two female characters with speaking lines in your film? Do they ever interact with each other? Is it ever when they do not them discussing a man in the film? And a lot of movies do not cross that threshold. They just, they don't have enough women in them. The women who are in them don't get to interact meaningfully as women. The interactions they do get to have don't manage to not be about the guy in the film or one yeah. of the guys in the film. Uh, and, yeah, so- and the, and the, the thing is, is that like uh, occasionally, like when you see it referenced to online, it, it's just like some sort of, it's, it's not like an acid test for a movie being like a good feminist movie or something along those lines. It is just like the ba- most basic amount of, of, you know, like humanization a female character can have. And most movies fail at having it. In in that you know they're able to, to talk about something that isn't just like one of the dudes in the movie. Yeah, and, it, um, and it's a thing where you know. So the Bechtel test has become this sort of cultural phenomenon. I'd, I'd say in the last several years, like it's. I, I think the average person on the street probably would still be like the what, but uh, but uh, certainly among people who are you know into you know media criticism or media discussion. I don't know if we should call ourselves media critics or just people who talk too much, but. Uh, if you talk to people who are sort of like into movies and TV and and and, and filmed narrative, uh, it's got a lot of currency, and it it has predictably enough. Here's something basically saying, "Hey, here's a way of thinking in uh, feminist context about stuff." There's people who really don't like it being deployed and will push back on it, uh, or use it as sort of a cudgel to say, "Well, look, we did that." Like you know, the thing about the Bechtel test is passing the Bechtel test does not mean that you have made a feminist piece of media. It means you have crossed a very, very low rule of thumb threshold. And so saying, oh, but we do have two women and they do have a conversation about not a man. We're fine. You know, you can, you can have a completely shitty movie that completely underserves its, its female characters and still pass the Bechtel test. But the fact that so many just don't even get that far is even worse. Uh, so I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things where once you know about it, it's hard not to think about it a little bit when you watch stuff. And it is interesting. Yeah, this is a movie that uh, whatever else it has in the way of problems, uh, it it manages to actually have women talking to each other, which is you know something. Yeah. And I mean, it's 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 mostly like just about all of the 
protagonists and antagonists in this movie are women um and they it was just like there's there's just something about them being women but not like having a um the movie not making like a huge deal about it yeah it's that like, was oh, kind of refreshing woman. yeah yeah it was just like it was I, I it was one of those things where like you know i had to notice it it was like you know it was it wasn't one of those like oh this is you know an almost all-female cast it's one of the, you know it's, it's like it's it's not it's not a thing it's just like the way that the movie plays out is you know yeah so the you know the the person who's you know doing all the stuff is a woman her daughter is you know a girl the 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 cop is is a woman it's just there, there's no reason for anything in this movie to not be the way it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a movie that, like, if we're going to be generous and try and talk about, you know, uh, themes underlying this, you know, obviously, thematically, it's a movie in many ways about motherhood and of uh, being a, a mother, being a daughter, yeah. uh, surrogate mothers, uh, abandonment of, of your daughter, essentially, is what happened to Alessa at that yeah. key moment in the whole cult thing. Uh, arguably, you know, we could say there's some metaphorical reflection on the idea of, you know, coming of age and coming into sexual being and puberty and all that, uh, which all, you know, like, not that any of that can't reflect on, on male characters, too, but I, I think if you're running with the whole, like, motherhood, daughterhood theme, it suddenly sort of makes sense that there would be this strong female presence in the, in the characters of the story you're telling, yeah. too. Uh, where the the male characters in the movie are pretty much sidelined. I mean, Sean Bean just wanders around trying to find his wife <laughs> he gets a little bit. Nothing accomplished. Yeah. Nothing. And uh, he's vaguely antagonized by that cop who sort of helps and sort of doesn't. Who mm-hmm. I guess is the son of one of the people back in the day. Yeah, in he the is. Town. He's he. Yeah, he mentioned that he is the son of like the barber. Or something. Because he points out like the Gucci barber shop or something. Really distracting name, by the way. <laughs> um. But yeah, yeah, he he points out the fact that he's like he's just like you see that store that was my dad's store, and I'm pretty sure it was a barber shop. And I feel like so I feel like we see a shot of that actor actually. Kim Coates is the the guy mm-hmm. who played that cop. Uh, I feel like we see a shot of him in like some of the flashback footage. Uh, yeah, which I don't I don't know if that was supposed to be his dad or if we're supposed to be unclear. Because okay, I want to talk. See if you got the same thing I did generally from this, because mm-hmm. honestly, the plot stuff in the, the the culty plot stuff in the games never made a ton of sense in its own right. Um, so I can't even fall back on like a clear memory of how it's supposed to work there. But I still feel like the film goes in a somewhat different direction here in the way it tries to concretize the nature of Silent Hill and these cultists. My yeah. impression of what happened is in 1974, they tried to sacrifice Alessa. She managed to not actually die. Uh, possibly with a little bit of nudging from the demon to make that whole uh, sacrificial urn fall over or whatever. She ends up in the hospital. Uh, She ends up being raped while in the hospital by creepy janitor. Colin, Uh, yeah. um, She gets an offer from the demon to let her get revenge in exchange for basically having agency through her body. Like the demon's my impression was the demon's like, Hey, let me inside you. And then I'll let you wreak horrible revenge on all the people uh, who did you wrong. She says, okay, demon comes inside. The darkness immediately comes spreading out of her. That presumably leads to the big coal fire that killed so many people in town. Uh, And then the cultists uh, in the church are like the, dead but deluded ghosts of many of those people 
And so Alessa didn't get her proper revenge on them because their faith and their delusion that they are righteous and not dead was so strong that they had sort of a bubble of existence inside the church in the dead, shadowy echo of Silent Hill that is the ash-filled, foggy place we see throughout the film. Um, is what I got from it. <laughs> I think so. I... I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't know. I think Alessa may have started out already having that power, and I think she just gives into it or activates it or something, because there was, like, that whole speech about how she just, like, laid there, you know, on fire and, you know, just, like, consumed by her own hatred. Um, and, like, that's what... So, yeah, I, I think that the, the demon was always in her, or she was the demon, and that, like, it got split off into, you know, like... Um, the you know the little Alessa demon girl who was just like oh no but the, yeah then again she does say she's just like I'm older than all of this so I don't know yeah I don't yeah, know if she like opened her heart to the demon and like let the demon in or if she like came with the demon because you know every once in a while like a possessed child is born or something because yeah. they definitely did like you know she was like they they yelled at her about being a witch and everything before she had done that but I think like I saw she was like making poltergeisty things happen. Yeah, or I, I, I couldn't so. tell. Like I couldn't tell if people like throwing stuff at her if she was making poltergeisty things happen or not. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely not a hundred percent clear. But yeah, she definitely like is, you know, uh assaulted by like the janitor after running away from all those people and then um yeah, I don't remember the exact order, but yeah, that you know, eventually she's set on fire and then um you know, they, they fail at yeah, she, she she fails to die basically. Yeah, and then she sets the hotel on fire. Yeah, by knocking over that thing with her with her demon powers, and then I'm not a hundred percent sure where the where where the plot goes after that. Yeah, or I, I if feel she like, like continues to be a ghost alive in there after the thing, or if she's just like there's like a parallel, you know, like sort yeah. of purgatory dimension that they're in, which I think is the closest thing because they mention it's like you know they're living in a you know like where where like the demon says it's like you know their blind faith keeps me from uh, being able to you know penetrate into their. Uh, into their you know their their safe haven yeah, so she so she has to travel through rows um or in rows rather and um and and yeah like somebody mentions that they're like living in a bubble yeah. um so yeah i think you know that that yeah so whether they're actually literally living or if they're the yeah. diluted shades of dead people I, yeah. it's, i'm not clear on that and to some extent it may not really matter although with revelation, they sort of revisit the town and it gets, it gets yeah. confusing because it's not clear what the state of things is supposed to be there either. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, if you, if I had to, you know, sort of present a theory is that, you know, like you had this town full of these weird, like, you know, quasi Christian cultists that kept sacrificing townspeople. And it was, you know, like sort of a, what do you call it? Sort of a, Oh, I don't want to spoil the movie I'm about to mention. So never mind. <laughs> um, I don't know. When did this movie come out? Hang on. Let me see if I can spoil this without a... Uh, 2007? Yeah, uh, your call. It's a movie podcast. You, I, I wish there was a way fast that you... Fast forward 
a minute if you don't want to hear, but it's sort of like a, a, a hot fuzz kind of thing where, you know, you have this like sort of normal looking town with like a horrible thing that happens in it. Or even like, you know, like a Shirley Jackson lottery thing or or any of like that, that sort of trope yeah. of like, you know, the normal, like almost even like idyllic looking little town that has like this horrible, like ancient, like, you know, often pre-Christian sort of secret thing. Yeah, the, 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 the terrible, on. dark, old secret living, living below the uh, bucolic front of uh, yeah. some nice place. Yeah, so it was one of those things, and just like that combination of like, you know, like the demons being aware of the town history and always being there just sort of like, you know, rips the town out of reality and into like, you know, like the Silent Hill world where yeah. you have these like, you know, quasi ghost sort of things and you have like straight up demons and you know all of these you know you know, pyramid head and like the thing that you know became of colin and you know the girl the the form girl in her hospital bed it's like the world like you know just like it un, it just threw the whole world into there and then you know like sort of like showing up in oz that's how you know rose and uh sybil show up in there and because you know they 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 do something to show up in there you know they yeah the car they, accident thing uh, yeah at the, and that's something that again this is you know tying directly to the the games to some extent i think there's actually specifically a car accident on a twisty road at night uh at the beginning of the first game uh and also a a a, a blonde uh uh cop woman uh that was pretty tied in directly to the, the game as well um, and yeah, that like so. So that's that's a thing with a film. The film has that car accident, uh, dodging somebody on the road. Who is it? I'm not sure. Um, I'm actually not sure um, if it was supposed to be like Alessa or if it was supposed to be Alessa's mom or or what. But anyway, they swerve. There's a crash. Bloody forehead. Was that her gate into Silent Hill, or was that her dying, and thus now she's a shade in Silent Hill? You know, the film's sort of vague about it because she definitely seems to be dead and ghostly at the end. Her and her and Sharon both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they it's, go uh, home and they're they're in the foggy version of the house while Sean Bean's in the well lit, clear aired version of it. So they are not in the world of the living for certain, but there's also no moment near the end of the film where they die. So it seems like they're just continuing to be in silent Hill where they've been ever since they woke up after the car crash seems to be the general. Yeah. Like at the end when the, uh, like the sort of precipice of silent Hill, uh, like, you know, a road is created and then they drive out, you know, like you, you think that it's just, you know, they're leaving, but in fact, silent Hill is just sort of like expanding its domain to, yeah wherever it is they're going because yeah. now it's, it's, it's part of them. Yeah. And so they, they are silent Hill in a way seems like maybe kind of the idea at some point in my notes, I wrote down everybody in this movie is kind of a jerk. And I don't think I ever changed my mind about that, but uh, yeah, kind of. Um, and the, the weird thing is that nobody cares about like everybody else in this movie being kind of a jerk and they continue being sort of jerks to each other. It was just like, um, oh, what is the one line that I wrote down? Um, Fuck you, you stupid cop. <laughs> it was just totally like out of left like, field, you... like aggression. Yeah. It's just like, oh, we have to go get my daughter. Oh, fuck you, you stupid cop. It's just like, you know, the mix, first the mixed levels of just like abuse in, in cursing. Um, and, and, and yeah, it was just. Nobody in this movie really has a conversation with anybody else. They just sort of like air grievances at each other for two hours. Yeah. Which, uh, if we want to embrace the idea that everybody's living in sort of like a disconnected yeah. spirit world, okay. You know, everybody, no one's really listening to each other because no one's really in a place together. They're just all experiencing some sort of uh, post life 
<laughs> spiritual reification of of their you know grievances from when they were alive which i this is something we should sort of talk about a little bit and, and we sort of touched briefly on this with the idea like the french language thing but you know silent hill was a japanese video game series and it's you know gotten a bunch of play in in the united states too but uh you know it was is uh put out you know originally japanese game put out on you know sony uh consoles uh and i feel like it has a lot of elements of what seems like sort of japanese uh, ghost story stuff rather than American ghost story stuff to it, which we talked about a bunch uh, right. uh, back when we did uh, what the ring, I think, or, or Ringu. Yeah. Um, and, and some of that comes through. And then this film, this film does not feel like it's trying to be a Japanese horror film, but it, it has this weird sort of halfway there thing. Uh, you talked about how sort of plotting and padded it feels. And it's interesting because I feel like, there's nothing weird to me about the idea of like a two hour long slow burn horror film that is atmospheric, but this movie manages to not really nail that sense of slow burn atmosphere. Instead, it's sort of like lurches from action scene to action scene with some shouting and whatnot in there. And it's really, I kind of, I would like to think that there could be a different version of this that manages to sort some of that out and really pulls it off by feeling more like um, just an actual Japanese horror film rather than a weird three steps removed American horror film by a French director based on a video game series that got, you know, re-internationalized into you know, yeah. English. It's a, it's a weird thing. I don't know. Um, it just makes me think of, do you know about sweet home? Uh, no. So, um, sweet home. It was basically like one of the first, like straight up horror RPGs and was released simultaneously. It was a Japanese Nintendo game, like NES game. And it was released simultaneously, like, with a movie called Sweet Home. Um, It was just about, like, people in, like, this haunted house trying to, like, solve a mystery or something. I think, like, one of them's a reporter. Um, But, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Yeah, it was, and, like, Sweet Home, the RPG, is, like, sort of what Resident Evil is based off of. Um, Like, I think Resident Evil was originally going to be, like, maybe a remake or something, or, like, but it shares very much of the aesthetic and possibly some of the creators. Interesting. Um, but it's the concept is very same is that you're exploring like this haunted mansion that's, you know, like not just haunted, but also like populated by horrible monsters. Um, and, you know, it's uh, you have to survive like that's the main sort of thing is that you need to survive in it. Um, and uh, I forgot where I was going with that. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was, storytelling. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, I was. I just. I, I wonder what this would be like. Silent Hill would be like as a Japanese horror movie, which and I'm surprised like they they didn't make it one. Um, is that I? Because I mean, the franchise has to be popular. It's like six or seven sequels. Yeah, well, I I'm I'm really kind of curious about how it's doing because I feel like it feels like sort of a doomed franchise to me. You know, and I I hate to say that because I love. I, I love Silent Hill 2, 2 so much in particular, and Silent Hill 3. Uh, and I've played most of the other games that have come out, and they've been varyingly good. Uh, one of the interesting things is Silent Hill 4 was uh, a game that was not a Silent Hill game, but then they decided for marketing reasons that it would be better if it was, you know, I guess basically get a brand on there. So they took a really totally unrelated horror game, and then they threw some Silent Hill elements into it a little bit. And it plays really different from 2 and 3. Um, and it's not a bad game, actually. It's it's and it's pretty good atmospherically, but it's such a strange hybrid. If you've played the previous games, because it doesn't do everything the way you would expect it to. Like it's just mechanically different, and story wise, it's a bit different. And 
you can sort of see the seams where like, oh, well, we can make this a Silent Hill thing. Let's just turn that right. monster to Silent Hill thing. And there's a there's a painting in a, a of a lake in your apartment, and Toluca Lake is the lake near Silent Hill. Now, Toluca Lake, as far as I know, is an actual lake, but I don't know if Silent Hill is supposed to be where a town near Toluca Lake would be if Silent Hill existed. Or, or or what? But uh, anyway, anyway, that's 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 how much Silent Hill location they get into the fourth Silent Hill game is a painting of the lake on the wall <laughs> of your apartment, and then I think a reference to an orphanage that was maybe in Silent Hill. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's a game full of interesting visuals, and it's it's kind of a shame games after that have like they all grab portions of Silent Hill and do something with them, but none of them managed to get back to what really really worked in two and three. Uh, so. So on the one hand, yes, it's a franchise where they keep putting out games and they've put out a couple movies. So there must be some something more than just vague desperation here because they would have given up after a couple crappy uh, sequels if there wasn't some good money behind it. But it doesn't feel like something that's really succeeding either to me. Like it really has felt like it lost its way at some point and has never found it again. Um, there was a decent one recently that I played uh, a couple years ago, I think. Um, but again, I'm saying decent. Like you know, it got some of the things right, and then didn't get a bunch of the others right. And also, there were sexy nurses again. You know, it's, it, it's a. It, I'd, I'd be curious to someone who has uh, any sort of context for how the franchise sits uh, in Japanese culture, because I, I really wouldn't be able to guess based on the weird, fractured life it seems to have in the United States. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, now I'm wondering uh, how much of the like impetus for uh, making more Silent Hill games is stateside, and how much of it is Japanese. Yeah, it's 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 hard for me to sort of figure out how that would play out, um, and who is you know who is who is demanding that these games be made. Yeah, and was Silent Hill Revelation you know a film someone really really wanted to get done, or was it someone you know it's been eight years uh and the option's going to expire sort of thing um it's hard to say i don't know it was definitely it seems like it was a lower budget film and it seems like sean bean must have signed something that he regretted because i don't know why he would have done this movie a couple years ago uh unless he's having serious money trouble despite uh lord of the rings yeah, because uh, it's just not—it's not a good movie. But a bunch I mean, of the he, he, his—I mean, his part in Lord of the Rings was sort of a bit part, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was like a, it was a good bit part, and you know, I people know Sean, and you know, Game of Thrones, which again, he, basically, he just needs to stop getting murdered early in, in <laughs> stuff. Uh, maybe that's the problem. Like he was like, "I'll be in the film, but I can't die," and they're like, "Okay, here's five dollars." <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe he's where a lot of their money went. Uh, there's a there's a, there's a bunch of little things here. Like I'm I'm torn between. I could rant more about some large scale aspects, but there's also I, I did make like three pages of notes that I've mostly just not even touched as we've been talking about this. Uh, <laughs> she oh I, well okay, so uh, little kvetches a few little kvetches. Uh, at one point, Rose is, I think this is in the mine shaft area, she's making her way along using her lighter to light the way. Yeah. And she's sort of holding her hand on top of the flame and walking around, which you'd burn your hand and it wouldn't block the wind. No, no, she's stealing herself. That's what she's doing. Oh, that's oh, that's she's an like, old secret agent trick. She's getting herself fucking ramped up on endorphins by, by burning her own flesh. 
just as yeah. you can. Hoping well, no, it doesn't would... burn anymore. She's done it so many times. She, no, she's just, just got a nice thick callus on there yeah. like that. The, that the Like what's-his-name does, uh, Gucci. Yeah. When he reveals his hands to show these enormous calluses, that I'm not <laughs> no idea what that's supposed to. I think apply that, to you. I think that may have been burns from the fire, but I'm also okay. I, I actually, I was going to ask about that with my big what was going on with the narrative of the film, tying it back. So 1974, I think, is when shit went down in Silent Hill, and after that, there basically wasn't a town of Silent Hill anymore. You know, yeah, people don't go there anymore. Nobody lives there. The only people who live there are the shadowy cultist people who nobody knows lives there because they live in a weird shadowy purgatory, I guess. Uh, so that's 1974. Uh, there's the implication from the janitor scene that maybe Alessa even ended up pregnant. Like, you know, the film doesn't really clarify this, but there's, there's not really a whole lot of reason for that to be in there unless they just wanted to either be kind of gross, like, hey, let's throw in some rape, or if they wanted to imply there was the possibility of, you know, her conceiving as a result. I don't think I... I did not get that feel, especially because she was just like so clearly, you know, um, pre, what do you call it? Pubescent? That's it. Um, just just very, very clearly prepubescent. Um, so I, I, I did not get that feeling at all, but now uh, who knows? Yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's borderline and I don't know if they intended that to be or not, but there's the thing there's a baby that went to an orphanage. So a baby came from somewhere, a baby that Alessa had or Alessa produced somehow. I think it that's, was, that's yeah, how would, Sharon, like that's where Sharon comes from. You know, she yeah, was I mean, put in the orphanage outside of Silent Hill somehow. They said that Sharon was like the, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the good aspect of her. Yeah. Like, like whatever the, the innocence was still in Alessa is what yeah. produced Sharon. But where did the baby, did it manifest wholly formed or did, you know, Alessa give birth to it? And if Alessa didn't give birth to it, then where the hell did it come from? If Alessa did give birth to it, when did she give birth to it? Because she would have had to have been impregnated somewhere circa 1974, but it's basically 2006 in the film. You know, it's established to be very much contemporary. Uh, so that's 34 years later, and Sharon is like a 10 or 12-year-old girl. No idea. So yeah, I, I don't know how that's supposed to work. Maybe it was just a real slow pregnancy because demons and afterlife and something. I, I, I'm really not clear on what was supposed to happen there either. And it's weird because the film seems to want to make the the thing like what is the nature of a relationship between Alessa and Sharon and they look so much alike and so on. That's kind of a core thing in the film, but then it's it ends up completely not making clear to me what the hell's going on. Yeah, yeah. I just regarding that specific part, not not a clue. Um, you might be right. I mean. I might I would be crazy. Not be, yeah. <laughs> or you might just be the lunatic who can explain this movie. Yes. Still not um, roll me. That's stuck in my head for forever. Is that Billy Joel? Yes. <laughs> I just read that like really long profile of him in the New Yorker, and like it was really good. If you haven't read it, there's like this really great profile of Billy Joel that came out in the New Yorker um, a month or two ago, I think. And but I've had like fucking Billy Joel songs stuck in my head since then, and this did not help at all. I I, I do what I can. Uh, did you notice that there was a hopscotch court that uh, yeah the landing spot was hell? hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of great. Uh, I have no idea how hopscotch works, but well, it usually ends up with you going to hell. That's that's they were just being a little bit more upfront uh, there. 
there was a there was a point in the film where uh, someone says, "You hear that?" While there's giant horrific industrial scraping noises going on. Yeah. Oh, I could not figure out how much of like the music. Speaking of the music in this movie, I really could not figure out how much of like the weird industrial grinding mu- noises were diegetic and how much of it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like I assume most of it was not. But I don't know. Well, it's weird because that's that's another. Uh, this is the podcast where I talk about a video game the entire time, apparently. But it's an interesting thing in the game, the or, or in the games, I should say. the The distinction is a little bit less important and it's a little bit less clear because there is this sort of industrial soundtrack music, but there's also all this weird industrial hell space going on, and the distinction between the two is maybe a little bit less clear than it would be in a film where either the music is or is not, you know, supposed to be in the scene. Uh, right, uh, and either the sounds are or are not part of uh, the sound, you know, the, the musical soundtrack. And I've I've had that complaint occasionally in horror movies where it's not clear to me whether something I'm hearing is supposed to be a scary sound that the person is hearing, or if it's just supposed to be a scary sound in the soundtrack that I get to enjoy. And it can be annoying when it's like it seems like it would be a really important uh, audio cue for something. Yeah, uh, I didn't particularly notice it being a problem in this film, but I think this film had other problems that made that not really a priority. Uh, but yeah, no, it's yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how much of it was supposed to be the actual clanking and scraping and, and metallic clatter of the hellscape versus just you know the industrial music in the soundtrack. Uh, yep. Another thing about Pyramid Head in the game and the movie, he's got that giant goofy sword, right? I, I mean, I'm assuming that that giant sword struck you as goofy uh yeah i mean i i it, you know the the the, the yeah the, how could it not like it did, did did it seem to you that there was any fucking reason for him to have that thing like what did it's you think when you saw scary? that giant well yeah but i mean beyond yeah I, I mean i guess that could be okay enough for a horror movie it's like oh well it's kind of scary so yeah. um but yeah i kind of assume that it makes no fucking sense and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but in the video game there's a mechanical side to the whole thing where it does make sense because it's a game where you tend to fight with things you find and a lot of stuff you fight with isn't even weapons per se you know it might be a two by four or a metal pipe um and in the nature of things different things have different feels to them and and you know do different amounts of damage so two by four is not going to do a whole lot of damage to something, but you know, it's, it's a lightweight thing. You can swing it pretty quickly. It's relatively easy to use. Doesn't have great range, but you know, uh, a a lead pipe that's longer and has better reach is kind of nice, but it swings kind of slow. So eventually you encounter pyramid head in silent hill Two, uh, well before you ever get access to his sword, but you can at some point get your hand on that giant sword. And it's the, the difference in trying to swing that thing is really visceral and and you know you've got this combination of the ability to do a bunch of damage and thus you know end a battle quickly uh, versus the difficulty of using it and it takes so long to wind up that you really feel that as a player you've got this sense of I am really compromising my own safety in an attempt to use this profoundly damaging giant mess of sword uh, so in the game it's kind of great it becomes you know you get to take your concern about being hit by this thing and turn it into some agency where you could uh, try and be the wielder uh, in a way that works really well. And and then that ties into the big end battle of the game too, because you end up fighting a couple of pyramid heads and you can fight them with that same big sword. And it's, so it's a really curious thing in the game that works well. And then in the movie, he's just this fucking, what is going on with this guy? 
he's cosplaying, you know, Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. What's that's, I mean, that's the thing though. Um, so in in the, this is something I've actually I was I was looking up the name while you were talking. Um, in just Japanese, um, and it looks like Chinese also like martial arts fiction, which then extends to anime and manga and video games. Um, there's this thing called a zanbato, which is roughly translates to horse slaying sword, which is supposed to be like this huge oversized sword that is like of like you know legendary qualities that like it does it you know. Um, there's, uh, you know, there, there, there's photos of people using, uh, not photos, but pictures and, like, artifacts of giant swords. But it's supposed to be, like, this, you know, hugely oversized, like, really, like, cloud-style sword thing. So, again, I think, like, in a video game, it's, you know, hey, all right, it's a Japanese video game, and there's this guy wielding the kind of sword that, you know, if you're familiar with, you know, like, a lot of Japanese media, that you, you've seen swords like that before. Yeah. It's just, you know, sort of, it's grimier, and it looks more like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, this nice, clean, like, knight sword it's you know this you know rusty old like basically just like a giant chunk of metal with a cutting edge tied to a stick sort of thing and you know it sort of makes sense in that context and like the context of the movie yeah there's no reason for anybody to have a sword in this movie that's just not it's yeah and especially like you know a magic sword that cuts through anything and you know like the scene where they're like trying to evade the sword uh because he's like cutting into that room that they've locked themselves in really just felt like it came from a different movie yeah um and, you know, like, I love giant swords, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, you know, hey, giant swords are pretty cool, but it, it did feel out of place. Um, yeah. It, it, like, if he had something else, like, have you ever played, uh, crap, what is it called? I think it's called Clock Tower. It was a series. It was a series of uh, Japanese survival horror games. I think it started on the, um, uh, I think it started on the SNES, um, and then it went to the PlayStation, and it really scared the crap out of me. Like, I had the PlayStation 1, and I really couldn't get very far in it, because it just scared me way too much. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, sequel for PlayStation 1996. Um, and there's the, the evil guy in it is Scissor Man, and he carries, out, he carries around these giant, giant pair of, um, like, cutting shears that he kills people with. Um, and I think that would have been, like, a little more appropriate, just, you know, maybe, like, because they almost look like a hospital thing, but basically anything except a sword. Yeah, and, it's and just it's, like, yeah, I yeah. think it's, it's just, it's straight up dumb fan service. It's like, well, Pyramid Head, he has the giant sword, so we've yeah. got to have him and his giant sword in here. Uh, it kind of gets worse in the, the, the newer film, in Revelation. Uh, I, I'm really torn between recommending it and not recommending it, because it's not good, but it is kind of interesting, and hey, it's just two hours of your life. Uh, and there's more Sean Bean in it, even though he doesn't do anything that makes you really say, oh man, I'm so glad I got to watch Sean Bean be in this movie. But it also has Jon Snow in it. Jon Snow. Uh, I really wish I liked Game of Thrones more than I do. <laughs> Uh, he he has a little bit more agency and a little bit less pouting in in the movie than he does in Game of Thrones. So that's something. But uh, does he wait. know anything? He does. He does know some things. Actually, he maybe he knows too much in, in uh-huh. this. It's the flip side. And again, this this was a movie that came out in 2012. So unless it was in the hopper for a lot of years, he was already in Game of Thrones, and he was already probably thinking he had better stuff to do than Silent Hill Revelation. So I I don't know. I feel like. Someone has something on everybody who showed up in that film. Uh, I just don't understand how anybody decided that that was something they wanted to act in. Um, but anyway, uh, at the end of Silent Hill Revelation, there's a showdown between the the new cult leader and Pyramid Head, 
where Pyramid Head shows up as sort of like a deus ex machina anti-hero savior uh, and fights the cult leader who she transforms from being a uh, elf looking Carrie Ann Moss with white long hair uh, turns out that she's actually the weird saw blade looking Cenobite who we've seen earlier in the film uh, huh. in disguise and yeah, it's really really Cenobite like like it, it more so than the Hellraiser bits in this, uh, that that is just feels like it really could have been scraped out of a bad Hellraiser sequel. Not that there were any bad Hellraiser sequels, um, but uh, all quality work. So the two of them fight in a ring of fire, and Pyramid Head's got his giant sword, and uh, Cenobite cult leader lady's got her clawy claws, and and there's this big like two minute long showdown, and uh, ultimately he triumphs and kills her with his giant sword, and then stalks off into the darkness, and it's it's fucking ridiculous. So I I think maybe that movie was made to make me give this movie more credit because this movie Silent Hill is a lot better than Silent Hill Revelation in most of the aspects that I've complained about uh, here today. So. So that's that's why I think you should go watch. <laughs> it's, it's terrible and it does everything. This does badly worse, uh, but uh, but it's only two hours. Um, it might even be less. It might have been like an hour and a half. I don't know. Um, I was just um, oh damn! I had, I had something. I like when she grabs with... the knife from the lady. She's like, "I'm taking this." Oh yeah, I'm taking this, and then promptly loses it. Yeah. When she's like jumping between again, you know, just oh hey, yeah, we just gotta jump between these two buildings through the window, like over an endless abyss. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. Hang on, I got this. Yeah. And then like the other, like the the cult woman just comes like flying in after. I thought that was probably the single funniest thing in this movie when they're talking and the woman just like sort of stumbles in there like, What nobody was gonna help me? <laughs> um and you lost my fucking knife. Yep. Come on. Yeah, it's a very gamey thing, like, use this item until you don't need it anymore. So she got, grabbed the knife because she needed to solve the painting puzzle, yeah. right? Uh, and, and, and then, the, and then uh, don't the, need the knife anymore, and so that it magically flies away. Yeah, uh, no, no, the people that are, you know, orchestrating this whole thing electrocuted the handle, so she'd drop it. Oh, right, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of funny, too. It's, it's also a little bit of a missed opportunity, because dropping the knife makes no fucking sense, and it's dumb. Yeah. This is a game, like the Silent Hill games, most of the weapons you have are basically destructible. So you find a two-by-four, you beat something to death with it, uh, beat something else to death with it, and then it breaks, you know, and so you have to find something else. And so there's a scarcity there, you know, in survival horror fashion, Mm -hmm. uh, even with your melee weapons, where it's not like you have this super reliable weapon. You've got, it'll work for now, but you know every time you hit something, that might be the last time you could use that, so you need to have something else and know where you can find another one. So, like, if the knife had broken in the context of her using it that would have even worked thematically with the game if they wanted to do sort of like a fan service thing uh but instead it just it just magically falls at the dumbest time for no yep. reason just because they need her to not have a knife later like she like they couldn't she couldn't have just like torn through the painting with her hands or a spare i don't know i'm starting to think this might not have been a great film uh, I, don't know. To, I like the uh this is my boomstick moment with um officer sybil when there's like you know they're in the uh, they're they they just got into the church and everybody's just like witches kill them burn the witches and everybody's like causing a ruckus and Sybil just points her gun up into the air and fires and everybody shuts up. Yep. And that then was nice. and then in the back and then, and then 
somebody actually says this is and then it's something like blasphemy or something like that but they almost got there i think there there's a lot of i can't figure out if all of the horror movie references in this movie are horror movie references or just somebody stumbling across a lot of <laughs> horror movie imagery from old from older horror movies i, yeah. I cannot tell yeah, how much of it is intentional you know referencing versus just sort of like yeah parallel development or barking up half remembered stuff without yep. specifically trying to yeah provide attribution as it were oh uh, uh, this movie features the single most uh what do you call it non-creepy and genuinely nice looking orphanage in a horror movie ever when uh sean bean shows up at like that orphanage where they adopted sharon from true, and, you know all the true. kids are reciting that like creepy ass uh now i lay me down to sleep prayer yes. and then like you know the very very nice looking nun is just like all right everybody no better place to be than bed on a uh uh, then you know bed on a rainy night good night girls and all the girls are like hugging each other before going to sleep and it was just like it was really just like the most wholesome orphanage i've ever seen in a horror movie <laughs> well and it, it's interesting it was outside of silent hill and so you know the problem was you yeah. know a lesson sharon not the uh, creepy orphanage for once uh i i, I mentioned earlier the, the going down and down and down thing and the impossible architecture that works well in the game uh, they do have the big, long elevator drop, and I'd forgotten about that uh, mm-hmm. at one point when she's in the hospital, I guess, after she's looked at the map and memorized it. Uh, but, the, but the movie doesn't really convey that, you know, e- even, even with the big impossible elevator drop. It almost feels like more like, a, oh, no, something's happening, rather than uh, Yeah, yeah, because when Sybil's just like, it's like, you know, go find your daughter, you know, I'll hold them off, and she's there with, like, her gun, and she removes whatever the hell was keeping the elevator from closing. And then the elevator closes, and it's just like, well, all right, so now you've trapped her in an elevator. <laughs> uh, it's like, and then it starts moving, and we're like, yeah. oh, well, wow, really glad it's working. That, well, you know, yeah. You do have to you have to make some effort in at least a couple of the games to get an elevator working. So again, like the weird piling on of like, well, it happened to the game. So without really thinking through how it's working cinematically, or whether or not you're doing a good job of actually carrying the uh, the idea of the game through. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of imagery. Uh, the games have uh, like r- like bright, bloody red squares. Uh, is what I want to say is in the first and second game in particular at least that are save mm-hmm. points they're just like you know doom doomy gloomy foggy dark area in general is the palette of the game and then you have these super bright red things and those turn out to be save points uh, so when you see one you're actually kind of happy to see the disturbing weird blotch of red because you're like oh fuck I won't have to redo all that again now because I can go save um, and in the game it's sort of like oh, it makes my head feel weird to touch this uh, and then you save your game while giving someone brain cancer probably is what's going on. <laughs> uh, and there's a few little moments in, in, in the movie here. And they do this again, uh, conspicuously a couple times in the, in revelation where there is red that doesn't necessarily need to be there, but it feels like that is attempting to be a visual callback to the games. Like there's some red bloody squares of window at one point when Rose is uh, fleeing uh, the, evil sexy murder nurse zombies uh that i felt like was maybe someone actually trying to be oh hey you know you played those games look it's a it's a red thing uh but in revelation at one point uh sean bean and his his daughter are uh staying in like a motel room and there's just an inexplicable red high-heeled shoe on like the mantle above the beds um that felt like again like someone's like saying oh hey inexplicable red object game save point eh, eh. 
save point. Yeah. Uh, if you leave to if if you leave to the bathroom while during this scene, you can come back and it'll just start playing again. <laughs> yep. I hope they started um, a chapter heading in the DVD right at that spot. Yeah. Um, there was there was a brief conversation between Christabella and Rose where she was just like, um, where she this was like at the point where I guess they're teaming up or whatever, and um, she's like, you know, it's like you must, it's like you need faith to protect you. Do you have faith? And Rose is like, I love my daughter. And Christabella's like, that's not what I asked, which is very very true. There was no, yeah. I, I did not understand that exchange. <laughs> I don't think she did either. Not even sure if that was the character speaking that line. Um, yeah. The, uh, I, I've complained about the presence of the nurses, but, uh, but I thought the actual, the, the, the scene was nice. I, that, that high speed yeah. photography twitchy thing. And just, yeah, that they, gets me out of time. Was, looks so great. all of the, so the guy that plays Colin and pyramid head also was the, uh, choreographer for like all the creepy walking stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and so for the nurses, they, uh, they filmed them walking backwards and then they played it in reverse to show them walking forward, yeah. which is how they got that cool effect yeah, going. Night, that, that night, yeah. like the the, the, mm-hmm. the kinematics of it feels yeah. all wrong because well, yeah. it's all wrong. Yeah. And all the uh, all the the actors uh, playing the nurses were uh, professional dancers, which is why how they you know got that like that cool yeah. look. Even besides that, is that they you know understand how to move their body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was pretty cool that how, uh, you know, there was like a very video gamey moment where she realizes what the light is doing and then stops. And then, yeah. you know, when that sort of fucks up, and they start slashing each other. She just sort of like leaves it there for them to gather around. Yeah, that was a very like why, like, you know, some guy in the lunchroom is telling you how to get past that level of the <laughs> LucasArts well, game. Yeah, yeah. Not for the fucking life of you figure out. It's like, no, dude, you got to go to you got to drop the flashlight. Oh, oh OK. Yeah. Well, and then, then you get, yeah, the flashlight thing is a thing in the games where like it's useful to be able to see it all, but it does attract <laughs> monsters. And, and, and I think they said that again before they decided yeah, yeah, that they yeah, wanted no, to kill it. Like, the like light will show. attract them. And it's like, well then why the fuck are you giving it to me? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was, um, uh, what was it? Oh yeah. The, yeah, the radio thing, which I know is from the video game was pretty cool that, uh, yeah. although it did not, nobody, nobody wears a cell phone on a necklace. <laughs> And nobody in the history of time has done that. They don't make necklaces that do that. Yeah. And yet, you know, in the, in the game, it was what a radio. Yeah, you find a, a, a little, a, transistor, little radio. transistor radio in, in at least a couple of games. That's what I, like. I think at least like in the first three games, probably in basically all the games, at some point early on, you find some kind of radio device. It's probably a transistor radio, which maybe made more sense when the first game came out as sort of plausible, but like by like the. 21st century you're carrying around a shitty transistor radio that you found and yeah uh, but yeah it, it starts getting statically and crackly when there's something nearby that's like a monster which is great in the game it's it's, it's a wonderful mechanic for like putting you on edge without giving you any real concrete information other than yeah. something bad is approaching uh, and it's a game where you can play a lot of it by just literally running like combat is not something that you really want to do a lot of in these games generally speaking and so the fact that you've got a device that is essentially uh, you know radar for monsters you can just navigate in the f- in the fog running at full clip and if it starts to get a little bit louder maybe take a turn and if it keeps getting louder maybe just turn the fuck around and go the other way and, and yeah it's so. a monster yes yes it's monster yes trademark that you're gonna be rich uh, <laughs> once i invent the monster and monsters for it to detect 
The flashbacks, uh, specifically, I guess the big Alessa flashback. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like there's more than one in the film, but I may be muddling it with the second one too, where there were a lot of flashbacks. I think uh, basically a cutscene. Basically, they threw a cutscene from a video game into a movie. Is kind of how that felt because it felt a little bit like uh, clumsy and plot, uh, sort of ham-handed throwing it in there. Yeah. Hey, let's do some. Now it's got the old timey film effect, so you know it's a flashback. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. When there was like, with, it was it was probably in like thirty five millimeter or something. It's like, look at that different film grain means the past. Yep. Um, I wonder, yeah, I wonder how many of these things like people in the future are going to recognize. Like, I mean, I guess they'll keep using film for at least a little while longer. But like, at which point will it be like, oh, okay, it's like you know sepia tone film grain, and then you know like highly grain film means flashback. It's like it's like looks like it was recorded in an old Super 8, which has not you know been in use in anybody's recent past. Yeah, it's like um, one of those things that we're going to retain the aesthetics of an expired technology yeah. uh, like long after the reference yeah. makes any clear sense. But everybody yeah. will learn through cultural yeah. you know exposure that that is a signifier. So the semiotics okay. of it will carry on, even though. There's no yeah, like the, the icon of a floppy disk is at this point outlasted yeah. the floppy disk. It's like what what is that? What am I clicking save on? Yeah, um, yeah. There was uh, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 crying nurse in the flashback. Yeah, what was that? Oh, I, I guess the idea is that Alessa, with her power and her anger, laying in the. hotel hospital blind Uh, yeah yeah just like sort of lashed out at the the nurse maybe unintentionally even but like it was it was such they 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 so conspicuously framed her facing away from us crying and whatnot we get a bunch of yeah there was gonna be a monster face and there was not yeah yeah, it was just like it was just like what bleeding eyes i guess yeah it was Uh, just like just uh like the uh, no the eyes themselves were just like all white or gray like they were still there but they were missing like the insides okay and it was like this like sort of like spider webbing of yeah. blood all around it was just sort of yeah it was just sort of underwhelming and like that nurse yeah it felt like they wanted to tell a story about Alessa's relationship with people once she was in the hospital after the burning but they just didn't really accomplish it so instead we just get this nurse thing as sort of like a, a stand-in for an actual useful bit of characterization there with really weirdly colored hair yeah she had like that like <laughs> white like blonde mohawky thing going down like brunette hair maybe the other way around um I think it was, yeah, I think it was the other way around. No, no, it couldn't have been. But yeah, whatever it was, there, there was just like there was no payoff for that whatsoever. Yeah, it was just, even yeah, didn't need to be there. Like you think she would like attack her or or or, or something? But yeah. no, there's no nope. nothing really. Just a prop. Yeah, uh, um, I, I did like uh, going back to the motherhood theme. The idea that the demon girl essentially figuratively impregnates Rose with herself yeah. before Rose goes to the church. That that seemed to tie in sort of nicely to me and in a way the demon girl was sort of like another aspect of her daughter Sharon her daughter Sharon is adopted rather than her own child and so now in a sense she becomes truly pregnant with the same daughter in a way uh, by inhabiting that I guess you could make that argument I guess I just did so that's my argument there you go yeah no it it, it makes sense it was super ham-handed but it makes sense at least I mean like in the movie not your your explanation wasn't (laughs) it wasn't terrible it's not the worst thing i ever heard uh um yeah i mean like there 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 are parts of this movie where there is like functioning internal logic which was nice um still not entirely sure what the air raid siren was supposed to be 
um, indicating or why they had that canary, like the, the the coal mine canary thing. Yeah. Like I understand, I, I understand the symbolism, and I understand how a coal mine, a canary in a coal mine functions, and you know the 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 metaphor as well. But why they had one there, I I could not could not tell you. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess the v- vague notion that a lesson maybe just sort of lashes out periodically, and somehow the bird knows. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing seems kind of odd. You know, well, she grew up in a mining town. She really only had mining metaphors to work with for her yeah. hideous, you know, supernatural curses. So all the canaries died. Yeah, I, I guess if we take all of the confusing narrative and characterological notes of this and put them in the context of it's all basically the mental uh, or in spiritual and emotional world of a you know tortured child, then we can just say, oh well, they're just kids. You know, it's it's like the kid drawing thing. They actually got a kid to outline the script. That's why it's so authentically nonsensical at times. Yeah, um, there's a there's a thing in the church. Uh, so so Rose gets stabbed. The Borg Queen stabs her, and that's how the blood gets on the floor that that causes everything go to to hell, as it were. Uh, but Rose stands up and turns around, and there's this organ hit in the soundtrack that is just not fucking around. In a soundtrack that already wasn't particularly subtle, that was just like, all right, motherfuckers. Time for a set piece is kind of how that uh, that came off to me. I don't know if that that hit you so much. Um, also, I don't know if like Rose's stab wound was healed like by the power of the demon, or I think so. or if it was just like never there in the first place. Yeah, I don't know. She's, she's she actually dead already, and it's the Matrix, and yeah, I don't know because she definitely like kills a dude who did not seem to be um, what do you call it. Who did not seem to be uh, terribly menacing toward her? He was just sort of like sort of going to her, and she just stabs him right like like under the chin through the head. Yeah, um, yeah. There was like a number of points in this movie where like the there was um what do you call it? I think there's a point when they're like wandering through like the uh, the church, and um, you know people are getting in the way, and either Rose or Sybil is just like punching motherfuckers like out of her way like people like coming up to her like sort of aggressively and she just push them aside and also the scene where um like sybil is is there where they did like you know the nice like you know uh the, the, the like the badass scene for sybil uh when she's got like the four or five like mining guys around her who look pretty you know they look pretty scary in their mining uniforms and you have to just sort of remember that it's just like a bunch of like really sickly looking kind of old disheveled people in these mining uniforms um and then she just beats the crap out of all of them with her baton like you know hardly even uh, breaking a sweat. I thought that yeah. was, you know, like that, that scene was pretty cool, but it also like, how does she know how to do that? She's like, she is like a cop in a small town. Um, you know, it was like Sybil's whole character was just kind of, kind of seemed out of place for who she was. Um, but she, the character itself was pretty cool. Just yeah. like sort of a, no, uh, like very, very little taking of bullshit cop. Um, Although I, I don't know, she she was definitely wearing like what looked like to be the world's most expensive like sexy police officer <laughs> co- uh, like yeah. Halloween costume. Yeah, those it those was, some shiny leather pants. Yeah, they they like that. Was, I don't think that was like a regulation shirt or tiny leather jacket um, or the other stuff. But I don't know. She was she she was pretty cool. She looked like sort of like a uh, what do you call it a sexy T one thousand costume. <laughs> <laughs> That feels about right. Yeah. yeah and, and there was a blonde uh, cop in, I want to say, the first game specifically. Um, 
but the thing is with the game everybody you get more of the feel that this is like another lost soul rather than uh, another badass and there's there's kind of too much badassery in this film as part of my feeling like I, I feel yeah. like Silent yeah. Hill is really a, a, a series about uh, sort of hopelessness and desperation and confusion and terror and uh even even when there's moments of agency and really making a choice to do something hard and terrible and whatnot, it's still, you know, something, it, it remains fundamentally uh, desperation, as I, I would say, how I kind of think of characters reacting to the world around them. And so the sort of heroic resolve you see at times in the film yeah. uh, is somewhat inconsistent with that. I mean, obviously, it's a movie. Having some heroic resolve is an appealing thing to do with your, your main character, but... Uh, but it does feel a little bit too much like an action movie for a game series that ironically has always made combat be something that is a last sort of shitty resort. That's not a whole lot of fun to do. Um, I, I mean, I, I did enjoy the contrast between like, you know, between Rose and Sybil, they could probably take down a government, you know, they're, they're both like completely fearless. Sybil is, you know, incredibly good with her gun. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's her name? Rose has like Lara Croft uh, esque, you know, being able to physically maneuver around stuff yeah. with like absolutely no second thoughts. And in the meanwhile, you, know, you contrast that with like Sean Bean trying to bribe a mechanic and yelling at a nun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's really bad. I made a note. He's bad at social engineering. Like every time he tries to like yeah. work with someone on something, he goes from like zero to listen, goddammit, in like no time. Like he's got two settings. One is ineffectual inquiry and the one is getting angry and shouting uh, I really wish they got Liam Neeson for that and they just expanded it into like slightly more incompetence of him being able to like completely unable to do anything of use in the movie <laughs> um, because you know he he does not accomplish anything in this movie outside of become discouraged yeah he pokes around a little bit and gets the run around and vaguely senses his uh, shadow wife a couple times and that's yeah. really kind of it uh, and he doesn't really do a whole lot more in the second movie, even though they uh, bring him back for so much of it. It's it's kind of odd. One one thing I want to say: uh, uh, the contrast between a game and a movie. The the big final set piece in this film, where Alessa goes all barbed wire in the church and fucks everybody up. If yeah. this were a game, that would have been the boss fight. You know, structurally speaking. Uh, there would have been a big confrontation in this case, probably with Alessa there, you know, uh, or some equivalent if they decided to change up who the character who you're dealing with was. Um, whereas in the film, we end up with this just sort of perspective character of Rose getting this sly, hey, you see the shit I'm doing? Glance from Alessa while she's fucking everybody else up. Um, and that's that. It, it's an interesting difference in structure between the film and the game because the game, you can't. I, I don't mean can't as in proscriptive you are not permitted to do this or that it can't be done in a way that works but generally speaking following the structure of game expectations you don't have a big anticlimactic let's watch something else do something scene at the end of the game you don't you don't top it all off by saying oh and now uh, you can watch this cutscene of things fighting you know you're gonna you're gonna have some coverage you're gonna have to bring everything you've got to this unusual challenge you're gonna have a boss fight essentially or some some other you know big let's take it up a notch and really test everything you've acquired in terms of skill set and game knowledge throughout the game uh, whereas with a film not so much and I, I'm glad for that like I would have been really bothered if Rose had been thrown even more into a, like a triumphalist superhero mode here even beyond being stabbed and standing up healed and, and whatnot, like she actually did 
but it is it, it is it is interesting to see where the the forms diverge there. And in this case, I think it was the right decision on the part of the film to sort of let shit break loose independent of Rose and Sharon and have it just be a terrible thing happening that they're in the vicinity of, of which shut your eyes, baby is a reasonable thing to say to your kid when terrible things are happening, but didn't really feel like there was a lot of room for avoiding trauma at that point in the proceedings. No, not, not at all. It was just like, it was just like out of, that, that, that was just like probably one of like the most like impotent moments in the movie. It was just like you have no ideas what to do, do you? Yeah. Like that's the. Um, I did, did the the end of the movie. Like does 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 Alessa like in when they were in like that all white space? Does she actually say congratulations? <laughs> I I because I have like the word congratulations written underlined, but I don't actually remember if it happened or not. I I, I don't I don't remember it because that uh, seems like such a video gamey thing. Yeah. Um, being congratulated for finishing the game. Yeah. Well, and, and so I don't think any of the Silent Hill games have ever said congratulations either. They are, they're pretty they're pretty dark and dim in their general feeling. Like you you can get you get gamey end game feedback. Like you actually get a grade. I think in in yeah. And isn't there like multiple uh, ranks of endings? Yeah. Yeah. You get all all of the games have had. Uh, uh, different endings depending on certain things. There's like the the really bad ending if you did a shitty job, and then there's the okay ending if you did a reasonable job, and then the quote unquote good ending. Like none of them have good endings, but like Silent Hill Two, for example, probably the best ending you can get in terms of not having an obviously bad doomy outcome is sort of your character seeming to make some peace with himself about uh, the death of his wife and. Uh, and and the things that have happened since then and, and all of his sort of self-loathing and torture over over that stuff. So, you know, that's the good ending is he seems to maybe say, oh, well, I can come to peace with this and walk off and fade into the background and, you know, disperse and not be a haunted spirit, maybe. You know, and then there's the bad endings <laughs> where, like, you know, everything's fire and terror and, and whatnot. Um, and then there's the weird endings, which they did for the first two. I think maybe maybe three had one as well where you can like find a UFO being flown by a dog and go off into space or something like that. I don't even remember. What? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a total fucking left turn that if you go find just the right items and do just the right things, then you can trigger this complete departure from everything. It's like the one bit of goofiness, you know, in these very, very dark, very drab and, and uh, contemplative uh, aesthetically games. I'm Googling Silent Hill UFO now, and apparently there is... UFO ending, uh, recurring ending in most games, the UFO ending involving extraterrestrials. Yeah. So, uh, so there's that. The, the film didn't seem to t- touch on any of that, though, I don't think. I didn't notice it. Uh, That's the ending to uh, The Man Who Wasn't There by the Coen Brothers. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. that there's, there, there is an inexplicable UFO in that ending. I, I, it's been seven years. I mean, it's years. exactly inexplicable, but it's, it's definitely one of those just like, oh, a UFO. Okay. I, I have apparently entirely forgotten that. I, I know I saw the film about when it came out, but uh, it's part of a dream sequence. So uh, maybe you just fell asleep during the dream sequence. That doesn't. Yeah. Well, yes. So, so basically, my, my takeaway from this film is I thought they got some really solid visual and audio production on a script that makes no sense and doesn't shine where it does take to the series' source material and uh, doesn't uh, do the source material a whole lot of justice uh, when it does either. Uh, two thumbs up. 
I think the guy that made this movie, um, you know, I, have you seen Brotherhood of the Wolf? I have not. I know it's, that I haven't seen it. It's all right. It's, I mean, I think this Ringing guy... endorsement. Yeah, this guy really just... I, I think when he finds the right material to do, he will... Uh, it, it will be, like, an amazing movie. And, and until then, it's just... Uh, this. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's not... If you know, if I went to go see this in the theater, and I paid you know like the thirty, fifty dollars or whatever it costs to see movie in a theater around here, I would not feel terribly ripped off. Like this would be the kind of movie that like I would have preferred to see in a theater than the way I watched it, and I don't think I would ever watch again outside of a theater. Yeah, because it's just it's it's very like visually stunning and like overwhelming at times, but in a good way. And um, you know, even the 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 press X adjacent scenes, sort of you know, like they make Silent Hill look pretty cool, and you know the 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 ashy. Um, the ashy like snowfall and stuff is, is is pretty cool, but you know, like it's a very like senses movie, not a brain movie. There's not and it just like there's between like the start like the end of the second act and the start of the third act, it, it just grinds to a halt almost. Um, and then you start getting like all of the cult stuff, and then it gets kind of interesting again, but not really. Yeah. Um sort of reminded me a lot of like uh John dies at the end when they get to like the alternate universe. And then it's just like the movie just takes a weird left turn, but the pacing doesn't improve. Yeah. Um, so like there's more interesting things to watch, but they're not paced any better than like the boring things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like if they had cut down this movie by like a solid half hour, and there is a solid half hour of things to cut down in this movie, um, I, I would have liked it a lot better. Well, not I, that, you know, yeah. I, um, I, I, I would say go ahead and... Uh, if you feel like it, watch the the newer one just for some interesting sort of perspective on it. But uh, I feel kind of bad about making that recommendation, so take that as it as you will. I would also, I, I really would recommend Silent Hill too uh, to anybody who is a video gamer and has a a console. I think they put it out for PS3 and uh, and Xbox 360 at least the the re release of. Silent and if Hill you have a really 3. fast computer, you could just have a. PS2 emulator. Yeah, and, and well, yeah, yeah, that would probably work okay too. Um, oh, and there's a Silent Hill collection for PS3. That's that already. includes Silent Hill one, two, and three. Oh, it has one in there too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think Wait, got- no, never mind. Okay. Just two and three. Yeah. Why wouldn't it have one? Uh, one was a PlayStation game rather than PS2, and so I think just the the generational transition would be so much rougher like with with the re-release for two and three mm-hmm. as i understand that they didn't do a whole lot of new texture work or anything ah, so even okay. though it's higher resolution and looks clear it still mm-hmm. doesn't look amazing but you know it looks better than playing yeah. on a ps2 uh, i mean i know the original uh ps3 had backwards compatibility for the ps2 but that's only because they just built the hardware right into the box yeah um yeah. and then they took it out and i think it was still then a little bit spotty but uh, yeah anyway i i, I really Silent Hill 2 in particular, Silent Hill 3 is also solid if, uh, you know, suffering slightly from being a sequel. But both of those are really nice, really interesting games uh, if you don't mind some slightly uh, dodgy survival horror combat. Uh, I really recommend those. They're, they're important cultural artifacts in the uh, intersection of uh, gaming and horror, right. I'd say. Um, there were like a bunch of different effects companies doing different sequences of this film. Apparently, I was looking at the credits. I like, can see that. Yeah, there's like eight different effects houses, which 
I don't know if it was intentionally parting it out to get stuff done in time or if it was just kind of piecemeal production from a somewhat troubled production or what the deal was. But that would explain maybe why some of the effects are great. Some of the effects are a little bit sketchy. Yeah, I could, I, could. I just I just lost you. Did you hit mute on your thing or did uh, something bad happen to the Internet? No, am I, am I back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hit mute in the thing. Um <laughs> I think um, you know, I'm just trying to think of like what was really CGI, uh, save for like the the effects of like things burning off of other things, and like the entire bathroom transforming into like the dark world bathroom. Um, there was something in in there that I thought was really super CGI looking, but I remember what it was now. The elevator drop was pretty obviously. Yeah, the elevator drop, um, the barbed wire stuff. Yeah, that was. I mean, I, I, it, was, yeah. it was reasonably cool, but it's, it was still like you know. Like by the time that it did, they, they got to like tearing Christabel in half. It was like in you know like later Hellraiser sequel territory of bad CGI. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are you gonna do? Yep. Um. Uh. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that. I think that's as much as I have on the movie. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm good. Uh, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a, it's definitely a movie based on a video game series that I have strong feelings about. So it's <laughs> kind of an unusual one. I should, I should turn about and, uh, buy and play alien isolation, uh, sometime to play a video game based on a movie. That's apparently good. Yeah. I've been, um, I think when that goes, no, wait, they don't do steam sales for PlayStation. God damn it. <laughs> um, I think when somebody buys it, who and is bored with it, I will borrow it yeah, from them. It used somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say just really briefly, since I mentioned aliens, we watched Jurassic Park last night uh, for the first time in like forever for me, like probably in a good eighteen years, uh, pretty much since it came out. And the Velociraptor stuff in that movie, really, really, really strong sort of alien aliens sensibility to it and I had forgotten about that I mean I remembered that there was you know stalking from Velociraptors but the actual the feel of the way they shot and uh, the sound design and and direction on that stuff surprisingly to me surprisingly reminiscent of sort of the handling of aliens in uh, in in the alien films Uh, just an odd little thing but uh, also the movie more or less holds up I mean it's 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 Spielberg you know it's it's very much a Spielberg movie but uh, but uh, yeah, it's worth rewatching. It turns out. Hmm. So if you decide you don't actually want to watch Silent Hill, just go watch Jurassic Park again. I started rewatching it a couple of um, a couple of months ago this summer, I think. And all I can remember is that there were no sympathetic characters in the movie whatsoever, um, at least as far as I could tell, and that. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the scene where you see like the giant necked what were the brontosauruses? Do we have brontosauruses anymore? Were those the dinosaurs we don't have anymore? Uh, I, I I think a brontosaurus is actually an apatosaurus, or or maybe at this point there is a distinction between them. But yeah, right. brontosaurus versus brachiosaurus, and yeah, the scene where they're just like sort of crossing the sky did not hold up very well. Um, but the scene where uh, like the opening scene with like the guy getting killed by like the velociraptor in the box that. Yeah that stayed pretty damn cool and they just uh did a parody of it on um 
on uh, was it Bob's Burgers? It was uh, the oh, yeah. Thanksgiving episode of Bob's Burgers? Yeah, they had like a box full of uh, turkeys, <laughs> nice. and they just did like that scene like straight out, See, which they've that. done a number of times. They did um, there was another episode of Bob's Burgers where they took a scene from uh, My Neighbor Totoro just entirely and just like redid it with Bob's Burgers characters. Nice. Um, it's a very good show. I, uh, you watch it? I, I have watched some of it. I, I should watch some more. Angela actually doesn't like it, uh, so it hasn't been on our regular rotation. And it's funny because like. <laughs> I think we, we agree on a lot of things about it. Like we both mm-hmm. like the the cast. You know, we're mm-hmm. both big uh, H. John Benjamin fans. Uh, but yeah, just something about the specific like aesthetic and feel of it just doesn't work for her. So I need to I need to catch up on it on my own time sometime. Uh, but yes, I am fond of it. Yeah, I think it is probably the best show of that kind since The Simpsons, which is a strong opinion to have. Yes. Well, that's been our episode about Bob's Burger and uh, the Alien films and Jurassic Park. Uh, hope you've all enjoyed <laughs> listening. Uh, I, I don't think we figured out what we're going to do next. Uh, next episode will probably be in the new year, probably cracking into 2015. Yeah, we should do any one of those like numerous uh, New Year's themed. Yes, um, all those various New Year's Halloween movies. Yeah. New Year's, bloody New Year's. and um, all, uh, all, all Lang Scythe, that one. I'm a big fan of that one. Something ball dropping something <laughs> uh, uh, champagne but it's, but it's the word pain ah that's yeah. uh, it's, yeah. let's leave on that high note new, new year's new year's sleigh oh that's kind of feels like it's turned into a christmas pun instead new year's cleave New Year's Cleave. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. Okay. Next it, week we will be doing, <laughs> next fortnight rather, we will be doing New Year's Cleave. In the interim, we will uh, write, shoot, and uh, release that film. New Year's uh, Cleave. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Go poke stuff on the Facebook and, and the hey, 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 and the yada, yada, yada. And, hey, uh, nani, nani. Yes. And, and, and hope everybody has a, 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 a horrifying uh, end of the year. Good night, everybody.